So welcome everybody to the international welcome everybody to the international Marxist University. Uh, this event is organized by the International Marxist Tendency, which is an international revolutionary organization. Uh, this is an organization working for socialist revolution in more than 50 countries. And I can assure you that we have a great program lined up for you. Uh, but before that, we have a couple of technical announcements. Some of you might wonder why I am pausing so often. Some of you might wonder why. Well, there you have it. Some of you might wonder why I'm pausing so often. We seem to be having some technical problems, if you just bear with me. And that is because behind the scenes, we have 13 teams of translators. Uh, some of them, you, actually, you cannot hear right now. <laughs> Translate, translating the sessions into Chinese, French, German, Indonesian. Our translator is having a problem, if you just bear with us. Can another Spanish translator step in? Okay. Uh, behind the scenes, we have 13 teams on translators translating the sessions into Chinese, French, German, Indonesian, Italian, Russian, Macedonian, Portuguese, Serbo-Croatian, Russian, Turkish, uh, Spanish, Urdu and Hindi, and Arabic. If you want to listen to uh, the sessions in one of these languages, you can click on the translation menu on the left side of the, side of the website, which will then take you to a different app called Discord where the different languages are broadcast. On the uh, server of each of these languages, uh, there are manuals to explain how to use this service. We also sent out this information in emails to all of you. And I hope it's not going to be too disruptive for uh, the, the experience of the school. If you're already on Discord, make sure to enter the settings and disable all notifications, which will otherwise disrupt your listening. This is all described and explained in the manuals, which are all available in every language on the Discord service. If you're listening to translations on Discord, we also recommend that you turn off the volume of the mainstream or turn it down so they, so they don't dis disturb you listening to the translation. Uh, furthermore, unfortunately, we're not all in the same room and we can't see each other. So in order to overcome that, I'm asking you to take pictures of yourselves and the, and the people that you are potentially gathered with and share them on social media uh, with the hashtags Marxist University, IMU, and IMU2020. I'm sure that someone will be kind enough to post this in the chat on the website as well. Uh, on this website, you, on the left-hand menu bar, you'll also be able to see the schedule. Now, the times are indicated in British summertime, but we also have a time zone converter so you can uh, uh, see what the local time is uh, whenever the sessions are. Now, friends and comrades, this school has taken weeks and weeks of preparation. Almost 150 people have been working very hard to make this happen. This is a very big undertaking. And we might have some technical glitches during the school, but I'm sure that together we can, we can overcome them all. As the great revolutionary Leon Trotsky once said, what really sets a Bolshevik or a revolutionary apart from other, other types of people is an iron determination to overcome all obstacles. And I've seen plenty of evidence that that determination is present here. After all, all great things in life includes a little bit of effort. And what greater thing is there than the cause of the social rev socialist revolution and the cause of the liberation of humankind from the shackles of class society? 
Uh, I have to say this school is a historic, a truly historic event. 6,000 people have signed up to participate in the event from more, from more than 115 countries around the world. There is no time for me to go through the whole list of countries. But I can tell you that we have comrades tuning in from literally every corner of the world. In many places, the comrades have gathered in groups, viewing the school together. Other places, some comrades are tuning in from lockdown isolation. But, but the revolutionary Marxist movement has not had anything like this, going back to World War II and the Fourth International, really. Now, this is a slap in the face of all the cynics, all those who say that you, the youth and the workers are not interested in theory or in the ideas of Marxism. They say that the workers and youth don't understand. But the truth is that they are the ones who don't understand. What, what working class people want is not soothing answers or half solutions. What they want are ideas that can explain this, this turmoil that we see in the world today and show a real way out, a radical and revolutionary way out. Now, this school is dedicated to defending the ideas of Marxism and to answer those who attack it one by one. And in the same breath, to raise our collective theoretical understanding. And let's be clear about one more thing. This school might be called a Marxist university, but this is no academic exercise. The sole purpose of the sessions and discussions that we're going to have over the next few days is to prepare and arm ourselves with the most powerful ideas in the world and prepare to intervene in, in the class struggle internationally, to prepare for the great revolutionary events which, which lie ahead of us, where if we are equipped with, with a solid theoretical foundation, we can help bring these movements to reach their only logical conclusion, the overthrow of capitalism and a socialist revolution. Now, speaking today, I have the honor to present Alan Woods, who is a, who is a member of the International Marxist Tendency, is a Marxist theoretician. He's written many books about uh, philosophy, the history of the Russian Revolution, sorry, 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 the history of the Bolshevik Party, <laughs> and many more. Uh, he's the editor of the In Defense of Marxism website, and he's a revolutionary and active member of the workers' movement for six decades. Now, Alan will be speaking on the topic of a world on fire, uh, which is uh, the, the perspective for world revolution today, essentially. And without further ado, I will uh, uh, bring in Alan to, uh, to, to, to present this uh, speech himself. If you just give, have patience with me for a couple of moments. Okay. Are you ready, Alan? Yes. No, no. Wait. Are you ready, Alan? Wait. We, we are live. Anna's translation, is it available? Yes, Anna's translation is available. Can we have Nico go off the Spanish translation channel? Okay, Anna, can you speak in the in the Spanish translation? One moment. No. Please bear with us. Yeah, you have to go into the Perspectivas Mundiales channel. Perspectivas Mundiales channel. Please bear with us. No, not yet. Can you hear me? No. Please. In these uh, internet times, things are very complicated still. Anna, you need to click on the three upper, the three lines in the top left corner and click on World Perspectives. Okay, say something. Yes, you're live. Okay, sorry about that, everyone. So let's uh, uh, give it to Alan, who will be who will be speaking on World Perspectives. Thank you very much, Alan. Go ahead. There are moments in world history which are moments of fundamental change. 
We are currently living in just such a moment. And it always occurs that in such times, people tend to look for historical parallels and analogy. You know, it's like 1929, or it's the, like the Great Depression, or it's like the uh, 1917, or whatever. We feel a kind of psychological comfort when we establish such parallels. We feel that we are somehow standing on solid ground. Unfortunately, now we are not uh, standing on solid grounds at all, because there's absolutely nothing in 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 history of the last centuries that that bears the slightest resemblance to the situation which we now face on a world scale. The Bank of England recently said that this was the uh, uh, the deepest crisis uh, f- for the last 300 years. I mean, that's saying quite a lot, three centuries, quite a long time, you would think. But even this, but even this is is an insufficient uh, parallel. If you're going to look for a, a serious historical parallel to the present situation, you would have to go back, in my opinion, to the 14th century, to the, to the Black Death, which killed nearly half the population of Europe. You know, people then, people then uh, must have believed that they were living through a nightmare. It was a nightmare. And uh, many people actually fervently believed that the end of, end of the world had come. The end of, end of the world was approaching. They believed this. Now, in historical retrospect, we can say that it was not the end of the world that was approaching. It was the demise of a particular socio-economic system called feudalism. And actually, the, the, the Black Death, you may not realize this, the Black Death actually played a material role in hastening this pro- process. That's perfectly true. So we can say that there's a certain parallel there, I would think. Although it's true to say, of course, that we've not yet, uh, not yet at least, approached numbers uh, of people killed that, that approach these frightful figures of the Black Death. That's, but the coronavirus uh, pandemic, it, it exceeds the Black Death to start with by its colossal uh, uh, global reach. And actually, nobody knows how many people have died of this terrible disease so far. The, the, the governments systematically lie and conceal the figures and distort the figures. But uh, we can be certain that the, 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 the figures of deaths will, will reach more than a million by the end of the year. That's absolutely certain. And the pandemic is still raging out of control, especially in Africa, Asia and Latin America. But also in the United States, which after all is the richest country in the world. Now, it is important to point out one thing which is generally not understood. The coronavirus uh, pandemic is not the cause of the present economic crisis. Although it has undoubtedly complicated the whole situation and, and enormously deepened the crisis, well, that's correct. But the capitalist system, if you look at the figures, was already in a state of crisis before this uh, disease took a grip. The slowdown in China was already existing well before this. And in general, there was a decrease in all kinds of economic indices that was quite plain. The the trade war between China and America already existed and was getting worse. So capitalism was already heading towards a a crisis, a serious crisis well before this. But of course, the, the, the pandemic now adds to this in a very important way. Dialectically speaking, cause becomes effect and effect becomes cause. And and that's what you see. An enormous downward spiral now is taking place, which they can't control. And this situation, as I say, is quite unique in this. You will not find anything like this ever. 
The first difference with the past, which I would emphasize, is the enormous, the breathtaking speed of events, the breathtaking speed of the economic collapse, for example. After the Wall Street, uh, Wall Street economic financial crash of 1929, it took several years for mass employment to really take, take a hold in the United States. Now it took only 15 days for the U.S. stock market to fall by 20%, which is the fastest decline ever seen in history. And with a matter of, 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 of months or even weeks, uh, unemployment in the USA already reached the figure, the astonishing figure of 40 million, 40 million people unemployed in the United States. And this situation has taken the, the strategists of capital, starting with the bourgeois economists, completely by surprise. They're stunned. The economists have shown a complete, yet again, yet again, not the first time or the second time, yet again they've shown a complete, a complete inability to understand what is occurring, let alone provide a solution to this. The economic forecasts, so-called, of the uh, International Monetary Fund and the World Bank are completely useless because for the simple reason that nobody can predict the outcome of the present uh, coronavirus uh, uh, pandemic. The only thing which we can predict with absolute confidence is the situation will go from bad to worse. That is certain. In 1938, uh, the great Marxist Leon Trotsky uh, referred to the ruling class of the world, and I quote, tobogganing to disaster with with their eyes closed. And this is precisely the position we see at the present time. And this is something different. If you think about it, this is something quite different. It's a different situation now. Ten minutes gone, Alan. In the past, in, in more, even in moments of deep crisis, such as economic crisis, slumps or wars, people felt at least, they felt that the government, if it didn't exactly control the situation, well, at least it had some kind of a plan to get out of the crisis. Now, today, that's evidently not the case. You know, there is, there's an old saying, I don't know whether it's in English anyway, I don't know if it exists in other languages, but the people people get the government which it deserves. Now, that, that is not actually correct. But what is perfectly true is that at the present time, the, the ruling class of the world has got the government that, that it deserves most definitely. We have the Holy Trinity or the unholy Trinity, I should say, of uh, Donald Trump in the USA, uh, Boris Johnson in Britain, and Bolsonaro in Brazil. What do these people represent? They represent their personification of the complete intellectual and moral bankruptcy of the bourgeoisie in, in the stage of its senile decay. That's what they're doing. It's a, very, it's, a, it's a very pessimistic picture that faces the bourgeoisie. But in order to console themselves somehow, the economists are now predicting that, uh, don't, don't worry, because after this crisis is over, there's going to be a, a powerful recovery, a rebound, they say. If this is a complete illusion, it's a dream. You see, let, let's look at the facts. In order to prevent an immediate collapse of the capitalist system, governments have poured trillions of dollars into the economy just to keep it alive. And this, has got, this, of course, it, it has succeeded. We have to admit it has succeeded in preventing an immediate uh, collapse, yes. But at what cost? And what are the costs for the future? The effect of this is quite clear. They're piling up a mountain of debt. And debts, believe it or not, sooner or later must be paid. 
Yes, and the question is very simple. Who is going to pay? That's the question nobody wants to ask, but it is the fundamental question. By the way, it's the same question to draw an historical analogy. This was the same question that, that started the French Revolution and the English Revolution. Huge public debts, and the question arose, who's going to pay when the nobility and the clergy refused to pay? The fat cats refused to pay then, and they'll refuse to be sure that they'll, they'll refuse to pay now also. And that started the revolution, both in uh, in England and in France. It is quite clear what's going to happen. The full weight of the, of the crisis will be placed placed on the shoulders of those least able to pay. The poor, the old, the sick, the unemployed, the working class, in other words, and the middle class also will be hit. And this is a finished recipe for class struggle, for revolutionary class struggle, in all countries, in every country in the world without exception. That's the real perspective. It is a perspective of world revolution, yes. You think I'm exaggerating? Well, let me call let me call the, a witness for the defense. The more thinking representatives of the ruling class are already coming to the same conclusion as the Marxists. I could give many examples. Let's just quote one for lack of time. Please write this down. A couple of months ago, the Financial Times wrote the following, and I quote, A return to austerity would be madness. An invitation to widespread social unrest, if not revolution. I repeat, if not revolution, they're clear on this. And a godsend for the populace, a present for the populists. Populists is the word they use for anyone they don't like. In other words, the serious representatives of capital understand that revolution is implicit in the whole situation. And they're not mistaken. Karl Marx said, social being determines consciousness. That's what he said. And what we see now is very interesting. It's lightning speed of change of consciousness. This applies to all classes in society, by the way, starting at the top. Crisis of the bourgeois, black pessimism of the strategies of capital. Pessimism also of the petty bourgeoisie, expressed in that uh, other pandemic, which has a terrible effect in the universities, which has killed uh, every single university in the world. A terrible disease has got no no vaccine it will ever be found for this. It's called postmodernism. But we leave that to one side. I think it will be dealt with in other sections of this school. But for the Marxists, of course, the most important change of consciousness is the con consciousness of the working class. One, two minutes gone. And this, of course, does not proceed in a straight line. For a long time, it lags behind uh, the, the objective situation, that we know. But sooner or later, it catches up, and it catches up with a bang. And that's precisely what a revolution is. We see that taking place now, at least the beginnings of it. Everywhere you look, you see a growing discontent, anger, fury, and hatred of the existing order. Everywhere you look. Yeah, all, when I say all countries, I mean all countries. And we have a very striking example taking place right now with events on the, the mass demonstrations taking place on the streets of Israel of all countries. But of course, the most graphic expression is the, the movement that took place and is still taking place in the United States of America. And it seems as if this movement came from nowhere, like, like, like a, a, a thunderbolt from a clear blue sky. But this movement did not come from nowhere. As they say, nothing comes from nothing. It was the result of decades and generations of exploitation, oppression, poverty, 
bad housing, racism, police violence, and so on. It is sparked off, as you know, by the brutal police murder of George Floyd. But that's an explanation which explains nothing. There were many murders like that who took place over many decades without provoking any similar protests. But dialectics teaches us at a certain point that quantity becomes transformed into quality. For millions of poor people in the USA, the murder of George Floyd was the straw that broke the camel's back, the tipping point, if you like to use that expression. And what's absolutely amazing about the situation in in the United States is the lightning speed with which events unfolded. There there was an immediate uh, eruption, an immediate reaction. In Minneapolis, for example, where where the whole thing started, the police were forced to flee from a crowd of angry demonstrators who proceeded to burn down the precinct, the police station. I don't believe there's been anything remotely like that on that scale in the whole of recent American history. I don't think so. And it was was almost as if there was a giant invisible hand which suddenly moved uh, similar demonstrations all over America, simultaneously practically. Now listen, this is a concrete uh, proof of dialectics in, in action. It, and it is the final answer to all those wretched skeptics, pessimists and cowards and renegades, there are too many of them, who argued that the, that the working class would never move, at least of all, of course, in the United States. We have the spectacle of the most powerful man in the world, Donald Trump, cowering in the cellars of the White House out of fear of the demonstrators. He thought, he would, he thought they would break, in, break into his, uh, his hidey hole. Now he thinks he can control the movement by sending in the troops, despite the fact that all his advisors, including the Pentagon, have, have warned against this. See, just look at what's happening right now on the streets of Portland. Violent demonstrations, violent clashes with the police. It's almost like civil war on the streets. You know, sometimes I think that we should send a, a telegram of, of, of congratulations to, the, to Donald Trump and thank him very sincerely for doing our work for us so effectively. Yeah, to put your mind at rest, that's just a joke. <laughs> but it remains a fact that Donald Trump now, whether he likes it or not, is unconsciously serving as an agent promoting revolution very effectively in the United States. Now, we, don't, we should not exaggerate, we should never exaggerate. We must adopt, we must adopt a, 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 always keep a cool head. If you ask me, is there a revolution in the United States today? I answer, no, of course there's not a revolution. But if you ask me uh, if, if, if something fundamental is changing in the USA, I answer emphatically, yes. Oh, yes. This is a turning point. Turning point in the history of the USA, turning point in world history. Because the USA, my friends, is not just any country, is it? It's a key country in the world. And what do these events in, in, in the USA, what do they show? I'll tell you what. It shows the enormous power of the working class once it starts to move. Power of the masses, if you because it's not just the workers, many sections are involved. By the way, by the way, not just blacks, but whites as well. And what this shows, what this shows us is that there is a power in society which is more powerful than the strongest state, army or police force. And by the way, there are serious splits in the ruling class as a result of this, serious splits, even, even, even with the army. 
the splits. And Lenin explained that splits in the ruling class is the first condition for a revolution, actually. That's, that is quite true, but there is a problem here, not just in the USA, but it's a general problem. And it's a central theme which is occupied the minds of every, every communist that attends this school today. On the one hand, you see the tremendous power of the spontaneous movement of the masses. That's perfectly true. And that's the prior condition for, for, for all revolutions, actually, the yes, movement yes. of the masses. Yes, but, yes, but. In and of itself, the spontaneous movement of the masses is not sufficient to guarantee the success of a revolution. Never, never sufficient. What is required is an organization and a leadership that is capable of showing the way forward. And unfortunately, that is precisely what is lacking in the USA, in in Israel, in Britain, in France, whatever you look, it's the same, same story, in India and so on, of course. Nevertheless, nevertheless, the crisis is a, a, a deep global crisis. It affects every country in the world. Let's take China as an example. Until recently, China was one of the main motor forces driving the world economy in the last period. 30 minutes gone. But dialectically, things turn into their opposite. China is no longer seen as part of the solution. It's a big part of the problem. China has built up a formidable industry with a large productive capacity. Yes, but the internal demand in China, China is not sufficient to absorb this colossal produ productive capacity. China must export to survive. But its success in the field of exports, for example, companies like Huawei, have provoked a furious response, particularly from the USA, where, where Trump is pursuing his policy of America first. His slogan is, let's make America great again. He forgot to add the second part of the sentence. At the expense of the rest of the world. Now, he's import, imposed severe tariffs against China, against Huawei. Yes, but he's also at, at war in that sense with Europe. And economic nationalism now, that's the name of the game. That's the predominant tendency now. The trade war between the USA and China is a, is a symptom of this phenomenon. And this protectionism... This protectionism threatens the whole delicate, fragile fabric of, of world trade that was painfully put together in the decades following the Second World War. This threatens the capitalist system with a complete catastrophe, a deep slump far, far more serious than the Depression of the 1930s. That's the real perspective. The consequences of, the, of this, of course, are very serious for, for all countries, even the so-called richer countries. But for the poor countries of uh, Africa, Asia, and Latin America, it spells an absolute uh, nightmare. Lenin once said that capitalism is horror without end. The truth of that statement was, was recently uh, demonstrated by a statement issued by the World, World Health Organization, which uh, warned that over 600, big about 265 million people were threatened with death by starvation by the end of this year. And that is uh, undoubtedly true. That's the reality of our world in 2020. The pandemic, of course, has the most terrible effects in these countries. Latin America is now one of the focal points. It's rapidly spreading in Africa and in India also, but there's a terrible situation. In India, out of a workforce of 471 million, only 19% are covered with the social security. Two-thirds have no formal employment, and at least 100 million are migrant workers. And this uh, ferocious reactionary Modi 
tries to solve the, 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 the pandemic by expelling millions of poor people living on the streets of Delhi, Mumbai and other cities, sending them home to their native villages and therefore spreading the pandemic to places which are least able to resist it. Nobody knows how many people have died in India, but the real figure will be absolutely horrendous. There's been nothing like this since the partition of uh, 1947. And in general, you see the, the, the stinking hypocrisy of the bourgeois so-called experts. They have, a very, they have a very simple solution, of course. Maintain social distancing, wash your hands regularly. Wash your hands regularly in countries where sometimes 250 people share a single water tap. And how do you maintain social distancing in the slums of Rio de Janeiro or Mumbai or Karachi or any of those places, townships in South Africa and so on? It's, 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 it's impossible. And therefore, the entire situation is absolutely uh, impossible. It's impossible for the masses to live. Let us put it very simply. In order for the people to live, the capitalist system must die. And the masses are prepared to fight. They've shown this in one country after another. They are showing it in one country after another. But the problem is one of leadership comes. It's a problem. It's a very simple question. Sometimes people say to clever people say to me, oh, you're very simplistic. There's a simplistic solution. You can't reduce everything to leadership. <laughs> well, I am a very simple man. I like simple ideas and simple solutions. And I, I believe it's correct what Trotsky said in 1938, where he wrote that you could reduce the uh, crisis of humanity, can be reduced in the last analysis to a, to a crisis of the leadership of the, of the proletariat. That's the, that's the fact. And you see the complete bankruptcy now of all tendencies of reformism, including the former Stalinists, who are the worst kind of, uh, of, of reformists and traitors. These ladies and gentlemen for generations have, have, have controlled the masses in, in different in India in particular, I'm thinking, but in other countries also, in Italy, France, they, they, they were in control. In Britain also, the Labour Party is, it still is control, in control. Okay. But I've got news for the reformists. The crisis of capitalism is also inevitably your crisis, the crisis of reformism. Everywhere you see the same tendency. The masses are desperately seeking a way out of this crisis, of course. And therefore, in this search for a way out, they will turn to all kinds of options. One of the features of this situation, you can see this quite clearly, and we must be prepared for this, we must understand what it means, is violent swings on the electoral plane to the left and to the right. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. That's an expression of people's attempts to find a way out of the crisis. You can't blame them for that. But all political tendencies and leaders are going to be put to the test. And that especially applies to the reformists, both the left and the right varieties. The left reformists in particular have shown complete bankruptcy. Sometimes under pressure of the masses, they can adopt a very left-sounding demagogy rhetoric. We must not be deceived by this. Although we'll, we'll give them, yes, we'll give them critical support against the right wing. That goes without saying, but we must, but we must keep a level head. And, and what you must understand is that these guys, they have something in common. They've got a lot in common with the right reformists. Both of them, neither of them, shall we say, have any perspective of abolishing capitalism. They believe that capitalism can be reformed and made more humane, more, you know, capitalism with a human face and so on. <laughs> yes. And they, these guys have got the, 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 the cheek, the impudence to accuse us of being utopians. 
precisamente son los dejarnos de ser. My dear friends, the Marxists are the only realistic tendency in the world. The only tendency that looks facts in the face and tells the truth. The reformists, particularly the lefts, actually, have got the... They, they, they fool themselves and they try to fool others. But these illusions will be cruelly exposed by the course of events. As we already saw in the case of Tsipras in Greece, or I might add even the case of Jeremy Corbyn in Britain and Sanders in the USA. Now, if you look at the uh, the, the world situation, if it, just just look at it through the eyes of an ordinary person who is not a Marxist, and what do you see? Everywhere you see a, a picture of unmitigated horror, mass unemployment, hunger, starvation, disease, wars, suffering, disease and death. And people who lack a, a scientific Marxist understanding of history could be excused for drawing pessimistic conclusions, and most people do draw pessimistic conclusions. But you see, what we are seeing here are symptoms. Symptoms. They are merely the, the external manifestations of an under, underlying disease. I was no good whatsoever weeping and wailing and complaining about the symptoms. Imagine if you go to the doctor with particular symptoms, you don't expect a doctor to, a doctor to pull out a handkerchief and start weeping. I mean, wouldn't, wouldn't be much of a doctor, would he? And like a good doctor, we must be capable of analyzing the symptoms in order to explain the underlying cause. And here I believe, yes, you could look for historical parallels. I think so. We've seen, this, seen the same symptoms before. For example, in the decline of the Roman Empire, which took place over a period of some centuries, two or three centuries, and was accompanied by the most frightful economic, social, moral, and philosophical degeneration. Oh, yes. Incidentally, that long period of decline did not proceed in a straight line. It never does, you know. It never does. There were periods of recovery, just as a dying man sometimes will display the symptoms of recovery, which are merely the prelude to a further and irrevocable collapse. Like slave society in the past, like feudalism also, the capitalist system now has reached a point of irreversible decline. It is, uh, it has outlived its historical role. is no longer capable of of anything resembling progress. Fifty minutes gone. That's why, by the way, the postmodernists deny the existence of progress in general. <laughs> yes. They're incapable of understanding that capitalism is incapable of progress. That's what they don't understand. And therefore, they deny the existence of progress in general, which is a childish assumption to make. And in the state, the state of its senile decay, capitalism presents a serious threat, not just to civilization, but even to the, the existence of the human race itself. It is poisoning the air we breathe, the water we drink, the seas and the oceans. And therefore, they, they are placing in jeopardy the future of, uh, of life on Earth as well. Yes, it's a frightening picture, a frightening picture. <clears throat> and one can understand the pessimism of the middle class uh, people and so complain about this or that, the Greens. And so. But these people are all pessimistic, you know, completely pessimistic, because they, they don't understand, they can't see beyond the symptoms. They don't understand that beneath the symptoms, the frightful symptoms of terminal decay, a new world is struggling to be born. And it is our duty, the duty of revolutionaries, to do what? To make this death agony of capitalism as short as possible, to bring about the birth of a new system, a new world, and therefore to assist the birth in such a way 
that it occurs as soon as possible and with as little pain and suffering as possible. You see, comrades, the, the facts the facts speak for themselves, really. It doesn't, it doesn't need much explanation on my part. The capitalist system, if you like, is on life support. It's in a ventilator. It depends on oxygen in the form of what? Of trillions of, of dollars handed over of public money of the state. Yes, but just a minute, please. Just a minute. According to all the theories of the bourgeois economists, of market economics... The state is not supposed to play any role whatsoever in economic life. That was the, 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 the slogan, wasn't it, of all these economists, Hayek and all the other gang, particularly after the fall of the Soviet Union, which allegedly showed the, the, the death of socialism, according to them, the end of history, according to Francis Fukuyama. Although I note that Mr. Fukuyama has changed his tune now. He says, no, it's not the end of history at all. And capitalism is now in crisis. Well, well, thank you very much, Mr. Fukuyama. See, the question is very concrete, isn't it? It's very concrete and very simple. If the capitalist system cannot survive unless it's cropped up on the crutches of the state, why not abolish it altogether and let the state take complete control of the economy to save it from falling into complete and absolute bankruptcy? And why do the working class not take control of the state if it comes to that and take over the, from the hands of these corrupt, uh, useless bureaucrats which, which control it now? Now, part of this school, I think a big part of it, will be directed against this uh, wretched nonsense of postmodernism, which uh, maintain that you, that you can't understand history, there are no laws to history, no logic at all. It's merely a series of accidents, that's all. An idea, a, a, a mystical idea, which we reject totally. By the way, it doesn't even make logical sense. It seems that the whole universe is governed by laws. From the biggest galaxies to the smallest sub subatomic particle. Yes. According to them, the only thing which is not governed by, by laws is ourselves. <laughs> A child of six could see that that's an absurd statement to make. No, no, history has its own laws, which is our duty to understand. Without such an understanding, we will never rise to the, the level demanded by history. History does have a causality. History does have its own laws, its own causality. And in that sense, we, yes, we are historical determinists. Oh, yes, we are historical determinists. In the sense that we understand that the general processes of history function according to definite laws. Sometimes there's some confusion over this. So let me explain. Determinism is not at all the same thing as fatalism. It's totally different. Marx explained many times that men and women make their own history. You see, but uh, never, nevertheless, whether a social, whether a, shall we say, when a, a given social socio-economic system enters a stage of decline, the objective conditions for social revolution are placed on the order of the day. That is clear. But whether that revolution will succeed or fail is not an automatic question. It depends on the active involvement of the subjective factor. In other words, the Revolutionary Party and its leadership. Now, some of you might know that I've been working on the English Revolution. I'm producing a book. I've done a series of pod podcasts. 60 minutes gone. It's a very interesting question. And in the 17th century, that revolution, the, the first bourgeois revolution, if you exclude Holland, was fought out under the banner of religion. Although fundamentally it was a class question, as I've explained. The Puritans believed that the end of the world was approaching 
and that the kingdom of God was at hand, something they considered was inevitable. The Calvinists actually believed in predestination, that everything was ordained by the will of God, which could not be changed. Yes, but this conviction, it was a firm conviction, did not in any sense reduce their revolutionary fervor and their determination to bring about this new world as quickly as possible. On the contrary, it, this belief, it spurred them on to great feats of revolutionary bravery and audacity. And it's the same for us today. And we must approach the, the task of the socialist revolution with exactly the same spirit of revolutionary determination. The reason that I say these words is that some people say, oh, well, if you say that so, is, socialism, is socialism inevitable? I say, yes, it's historically inevitable. Well, in that case, why didn't we just sit down and wait for it to happen? <laughs> well, of course, it doesn't work like that. The capitalist system is dying on its feet. It reminds me of, of these monsters, you remember, in the old horror films, the, the B-movies, the horror films? Uh, it's, it's dead, yes, it's dead, but it refuses to die. It clings desperately to life, and by prolonging its its life and in, in in these circumstances, it is dooming millions of people to a horrible fate. Come as the capitalist system is not going to collapse under its own uh, the weight of its own contradictions. That's not going to happen. Lenin explained that there's no such thing as a final crisis of capitalism. The capitalist system can emerge even from the deepest crisis. Oh yes, can it get out of the present crisis? Well, it could. It could. If it is not overthrown, it can. Oh, yes. But that's not the point. That's not the point. Uh, if it emerges from this crisis, what will the result be? I've already said what the result will be. Decades of suffering, of austerity, of oppression, and so on and so forth. The economist some years ago put it rather well, I thought. It said, well, people want to return to normality. This was after the crisis of 2008. Yeah. People want desperately to return to normality. That's the case now, isn't it? People want to return to normality. That's actually the main, the main base of support for reformism. That's why most people are not yet revolutionaries, because they're still hoping, hoping desperately for a return to what? A return to normality. You have to understand the psychology of the masses. But the economists give a very good reply to that. He said, he said, yes, yeah, sooner or later we will return to normality, yes. But it will be a new normality, it said, a new normality. A perspective, a terrible perspective of degeneration, decay, decline, death by starvation of millions of people, cuts, destruction of the, destruction of the gains made by the working class. And even then, sooner or later that will just provoke a new, an even deeper slump, an even deeper depression. That's all. So what conclusion can we draw? The line of history now is entering into, it's a declining line. There can be this or that temporary recovery, that, that is, we must be prepared for that also. But, but a serious recovery, a serious economic upswing as the past is entirely ruled out. It's absolutely, absolutely ruled out. And therefore we must draw the conclusions. If, uh, if you say A, you must say B, C and D. The task of this school is to explain the basic ideas of Marxism to the new generation in particular. I note with enormous pleasure and pride the fact that uh, over 6,000 people have uh, signed on for this school, which is a marvelous achievement from over 100 countries. And I wish you all welcome, comrades. You're all our comrades and friends. You are the future.
And we must use this school for what? To sharpen our weapons. The weapons which will ultimately destroy the capitalist system. What are these weapons at this moment in time? At this precise precise moment, we're not talking about machine guns or hand grenades. We're not talking about, about that kind of weapon. No, there's a more powerful weapon than that. The, the weapon of ideas. And Marx said that ideas become a material force when they grip the minds the minds of the masses. Comrades, we must utilize this school. Every minute of it must be used to the full. To study in depth the marvelous ideas of Mar- the theoretical arsenal of Marxism in order to arm the new generation of fighters with the necessary weapons which are needed to guarantee the victory of the working class. That is all, the only way to put an end to the, this nightmare of capitalism and prepare the birth of the new world, which will open up a new page, a glorious page in human civilization, utilizing all the marvelous machinery and technology that exists under capitalism in a genuinely rational, democratic and scientific uh, uh, system of, of economy, which will abolish the evils of uh, unemployment, homelessness, exploitation and oppression of women and open up a new and glorious phase in the history of mankind. Comrades and friends, that is our task. That is the only thing that's worth fighting for and sacrificing for in the 21st century. Comrades, forward to victory. Long live the working class. Workers of the world unite. Forward to communism. Thank you very, very much, Alan, for that uh, excellent introduction. Thank you for all of those who've been watching and commenting uh, and spreading uh, and uh, posting their pictures on social media. It's very encouraging to see. Do we have the translation? (laughs) Uh, It's amazing to see comrades uh, gathered all over the world, some of them in in larger groups, some of them alone. I'm sure you all agree that this was an excellent uh, lead-off. I will encourage all of you to keep posting and those of you who have not to post pictures of yourselves uh, watching over social media so we can see each other and we, it can bring us closer together. Now we will go uh, forward on to the uh, discussion part of the, uh, of the school, of this session. I will bring in a number of comrades from all over the world commenting on Alan's leadoff and building on it. The first speaker will be Josh Holroyd from Britain. Uh, followed by Adam Pell from Pakistan. Uh, if you'll just give me a moment. Josh, uh, go ahead. Thank you, Hamid. First of all, I'd like to thank Alan for his excellent introduction to this session. And I'd like to congratulate the comrades on this inspiring event. Greetings from Britain. Now, I'd like to talk briefly about the effects of the crisis in Europe. Europe has entered its deepest crisis since the Second World War. Since the arrival of the COVID-19 pandemic in February, over 130,000 people have died from the disease, excluding the UK. As in the rest of the world, the lockdown measures used to fight the pandemic have triggered the deepest recession probably in the history of Europe, the basis of which was laid in the years following the 2009 euro crisis. The European Commission expects a contraction across the the EU of over 8% in 2020. And it expects the EU economy to be smaller in 2021, by the end of 2021, than in 2019. To put that in context, the 2009 recession, which almost broke up the euro, 
that saw a decline in GDP across the EU of only 4% only. So this crisis is expected to be at least twice as bad in the best case scenario. I say uh, best case because this prediction makes two assumptions. One, that a second wave of the pandemic will not cause any significant further disruption, which is extremely unlikely. And two, that trade with the UK will remain unchanged, which is next to impossible. So it goes without saying that this is the deepest crisis the European Union has ever faced. In fact, it is an existential crisis. The European project began in a period of upswing for European capitalism and world trade. It was and is essentially an attempt by the capitalists of Europe to overcome the limitations of the bourgeois nation state, which had become an absolute fetter for European capitalism. But the unification of separate national ruling classes with different and competing interests is impossible. During a boom, the contradictions and conflicts of interests could be softened by sharing out the loot, essentially. But now the situation is moving rapidly in the opposite direction, and European integration is going into reverse. Five minutes gone. The crisis has affected all of Europe, but not equally. Of the 130,000 killed, almost 100,000 have died in Italy, France and Spain. Further, Spain and Italy are expected to lose 11% of GDP in 2020. And France is expected to lose 10.5% of GDP, much more than other countries. This means that mass unemployment and social unrest are inevitable, even with billions of euros in stimulus measures from the state. But these countries are also among the least able to carry out stimulus measures to combat the crisis. All three already have more public debt than the total size of their economies. And with a rapidly shrinking economy and falling tax receipts, some of these states will see their debts spiral out of control. We are already seeing this with Italy. Uh, Italy's debt to GDP ratio is expected to rise to over 180% this year. That's the same level as Greece, roughly. This debt, this debt simply cannot be repaid, will not be repaid. It is the third biggest economy in the Eurozone. It is too big to fail, but too big to save. Now, Ted Grant once explained that you cannot bind together economies that are moving in different directions. And the crisis has exposed deep divisions in Europe. For more than four months, the European leaders have been completely paralyzed as a split emerged between southern debtor states, including France, which significantly has effectively sunk into the status of a southern economy now. And on the other side, the richer northern states led by Germany. So after months of deadlock and faced with the possibility that Italy might actually fall out of the euro, Germany now shifted its position and the heads of the EU member states have finally announced a compromise deal this week. This deal will take the form of a, a special rescue fund, a recovery fund of 750 billion euros in non-repayable grants and also loans. This has been hailed as an, an historic turning point. The Spanish Prime Minister, Pedro Sanchez, Ten minutes gone. described it as one of the most brilliant pages in the history of the EU. Now, considering the entire history of the EU is nothing but the decline of European imperialism, that's not much of an achievement. But more importantly, without a big upswing in world trade and European capitalism, which is ruled out, the measures intended to combat the crisis today will turn into their opposite tomorrow. Italy and Spain in particular will receive billions of euros in grants. But to satisfy the um, right-wing northern governments of places like the Netherlands, as part of the deal, 
Italy and Spain will have to commit to a programme of cuts to pensions and attacks on workers' rights before they receive a single euro. This means that first, the so-called aid from the European Union is in fact only aid for the bosses and will actually mean a worsening of the situation for workers. And second, while it may avoid the immediate breakup of the EU now, it is paving the way for an even bigger clash in the near future. Either these governments will do as they're told and carry out cuts, which will provoke a huge revolt. Imagine the strikes we've seen in France over the last couple of years, but on an even bigger scale across several countries. Or alternatively, under pressure from the masses and their own right-wing nationalists, those governments will not carry out the cuts. 14 minutes gone. In which case we will see major confrontations on an even bigger scale than the revolutionary events in Greece in 2015. The only other alternative is that northern countries, Germany in effect, pay more to maintain the status quo. But as we've seen with the rise of alternative for Deutschland, this cannot go on much longer. This raises the urgent need for an independent international uh, internationalist working class alternative to the crisis and to the EU. To try to maintain the EU, sorry, to try to maintain the EU is to renounce the fight to end the crisis being faced by European workers today. Please sum up. Any concession to the chauvinist projects of each ruling national ruling class will need nowhere, while sowing further reactionary divisions between the workers. Only a socialist United States of Europe can end the crisis faced by European workers and unite them on the basis of genuine solidarity and workers' democracy. This can only be achieved by the expropriation of the European capitalists by the workers of Europe united along na- across national lines. Our aim must be nothing short of the European socialist revolution. And it is our urgent task to build an international Marxist organization capable of leading the workers to victory. Thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Josh. Uh, for the next speaker, we have Adam Pell from Pakistan. Uh, followed by a break. Go ahead, Adam. Thank you, Hamid, for uh, giving me opportunity and congratulations to all the comrades who are participating in this marvelous mm-hmm. historic event uh, of Marxist mm-hmm. University. In, re- in recent history, this is one of the biggest Trotskyite or the biggest Trotskyite uh, Marxist event being organized across the world in which 115 countries are being represented. But uh, definitely for Pakistan and for this mm-hmm. whole region of subcontinent, this is one of a huge opportunity in which comrades from all over the country and then from India, from Bangladesh, Nepal, and uh, from many other uh, Sri Lanka are participating in this event are con- and are contributing to these very important discussions which are uh, uh, very important for the future of this whole region and the world. The ideological battles are key in this situation and these are very important for the uh, poverty-ridden and uh, uh, the region uh, of the subcontinent and uh, South Asia. In Pakistan, we can really understand what Lenin said, that capitalism is horror without end. Even no author uh, has in the past imagined such horrible crimes, such uh, horrible social conditions in which uh, millions of people in Pakistan, India, Bangladesh are being forced to live under capitalism. Even before this COVID-19, the crisis in Pakistan was uh, exponentially expanding every passing day. Hundreds of thousands of workers are getting unemployed every day before this uh, COVID crisis. And uh, the health and education uh, crisis was uh, killing 
uh, and uh, sending people to ignorance on a massive scale under the dictator dictators of IMF and World Bank and imperialist powers uh, like America this whole economy was being ravaged and pillaged uh, by the ruling classes and the uh, ruling class of Pakistan was uh, uh, compromising with those imperialist power and attacking the working class even before the covid there was huge attacks of privatization of uh, attacks on the living sta- standards wage cuts and around 70% devaluation in the currency but after this covid 19 crisis everything has uh, been uh, uh, expanded and the crisis is now moving towards a catastrophe of this capitalist system in pakistan and in this whole region and the attacks of the ruling class the bloodthirsty capitalism uh, uh, have increased and is feeding now on the bones of the working class is eating their flesh and drinking the blood of the uh, is like a vampire uh, haunting the lives of millions of people living in this country health system has almost collapsed and uh, people are dying without any health, uh, health fe- uh, facilities healthcare and uh, there is no one to uh, uh, talk, uh, take care of them all the government figures about the deaths by covid or the infections or every every other figure is a big fabrication is a big lie is an insult to the whole situation and to the working class particularly five minutes gone adam the ru- ruling class of this country has actually an insult to the humanity the ruling class of this country is actually an insult to the humanity they are the worst creatures ever produced in the human history of the human civilization they are bloodthirsty wolves these these people belonging to the ruling class and their imperialist powers uh, they look like human beings with their eyes with their face with their bodies but in fact they are worse than the wolves they are worse than the beasts in the jungles after the covid crisis rather than uh, providing facilities to the working class and the masses actually they uh, uh, started more attacks on the working class and killing and sending more and more people to the death to the graveyards the prime minister of this country says that uh, the best place to rest is the grave and uh, people can only do the rest peace take a peaceful place there and he is uh, uh, attacking uh, with more and more policies anti working po- class policies after after the covid crisis the black market of uh, all the essential items have reached unprecedented levels whether they are medicines whether they are a bread whether they are basic necessary items to survive the medicines required for the treatment of covid are being uh, the prices are being raised exponentially and people are dying because of lack of medicine because of lack of hospitals not in hundreds in thousands but in tens of thousands and what the government is doing it is allowing the all that black market by this policies it is privatizing hospitals even during this pandemic it is attacking the health workers with wage cuts with uh, sackings with layoffs with uh, uh, chokas notices and uh, institutional actions against the health workers already health workers are dying because of covid and other things but uh, government is hell bent on privatizing even uh, that these which were very few people in a situation where other governments in the world are providing uh, uh, in some cases money to uh, to the households to the low income people providing special packages the government in pakistan has announced a policy of ending pensions for the elderly which will affect hundreds and thousands of uh, poor old people across the country 10 minutes corner 
all these policies are being dictated by IMF and World Bank and imperialist powers of the Western countries, especially the United States of America. In the annual budget announced last month, the health budget was cut. There was a huge cut in education budget, but there was an, a huge increase in the defense budget on arms, buying of arms and other uh, luxury facilities for the uh, top brass of this country. Adam, the translators are asking you to shorten the sentences. There is an orgy of loot and plunder going on in this country. And there is a massacre, economic massacre of millions of people going on here. There have been reports of people going without food for 10 days, for two weeks or even more. And many people dying because of hunger, because of lack of basic necessary items to survive. Many people are doing suicides and there are very few reports coming. But there are more incidents which are not being reported uh, uh, here. This whole society has been sent into an abyss of uh, in uh, of 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 a social crisis. There are rapes of women and very innocent small children, mostly by Islamic fundamentalists. And then there is uh, huge uh, uh, attacks on uh, oppressed Adam, nationalities, on religious minorities, on most vulnerable people in the society. And this is a never-ending hell going on in this country. This is unleashed by this ruling class and by this capitalist system. Adam, please pause for translation. Adam, please pause for translation. After the COVID crisis, the uh, unemployment has reached unprecedented levels around more than 70% of the workforce is unemployed. And there are huge wage cuts in already uh, heavily underpaid workers. And uh, in many industrial areas, there's uh, COVID cases, but still uh, the owners of those industrial units are uh, uh, are hell bent on keeping the workers on the jobs. Fifteen minutes gone. And many uh, workers have been laid off and uh, have, uh, been sent home without any wages, without any areas. And there is a serious political crisis in Pakistan. There is no political party uh, which represents any section of the uh, now uh, the masses now. All all political parties uh, which were representing some sections in the past have lost all their support in their respective constituencies. And they are part of one faction or other faction or the support, one imperialist power or another or one faction of the state or the other. All, all the state institutions are in a serious cli- crisis and are collapsing, whether they are judiciary, where they are a district administration, where there's a parliament has become a puppet and uh, all these uh, the serious crisis of the state. Hello. And uh, in this situation, the state repression has reached unprecedented levels. As Trotsky said, the more a state becomes hollow, the more barbaric it becomes. Uh, the media, electronic and print media, have been strangled. There is a big uh, censorship on all kinds of publications and uh, newspapers and everything. And journalists are being abducted in bright, broad day, daylight by state authorities. Please sum up soon. There's a big censorship on social media as well. Uh, Facebook post against the government can land you in prison. If anybody try to organize protests against unemployment, against price hike, they have been threatened of abductions, of torture and uh, false uh, cases against them. And political workers are being abducted without any charges, without any warrant. Anybody's house could be raided by security agencies and picked up and thrown in prison without any trial, without any even farce of uh, any court or justice, Please and there is no 
uh, way out in this system uh, available for people to even express their anger express their dissent against these governments all these loot and to, against all this loot and plunder then there uh, then there is a uh, the uh, crisis of the ruling class which is hanging between different imperialist powers and trying to pitch one against the other please sum up adam and uh, then there is a crisis of uh, the, the, the even the chinese intervention has not uh, helped uh, the an economy in pakistan rather than uh, the uh, the promise of flowing rivers of milk and honey there is more poverty more exploitation by these uh, chinese capitalists here in pakistan please wrap up adam situation is not different in india as well where there is a big attack on the working class by the modi modi regime and uh, he is attacking the workers the political activists uh, like never before and are throwing them in prisons on false charges who were involved in the anti government protests early this year some of these who were thrown in prison have been uh, infected with covid and are uh, risk uh, uh, their lives are at risk there is huge repression going on in kashmir where there is curfew where there is army repression state repression hundreds and uh, thousands are being subjected to this curfew then there is covid lockdown and then there is arrests and there is dissolution of the jammu kashmir assembly and their constitutional status have been changed adam please we need to wrap up sir and uh, this whole and then there are movements in kashmir in india and pakistan and people will come out eventually against mm-hmm. these brutal attacks and they will come out against the brutal regimes brutal ruling class and the imperialist powers either of america of china of saudi of of any other country in the whole region and they will come out against the crime of partition uh, which was done by the british imperialism to uh, install capitalism to defend capitalism in this region aram please sum up this is the last and will move forward to undo the partition of bengal down to the partition of punjab and uh, solve the Kash- uh, issue of kashmir on through a socialist revolution in this subcontinent and a socialist revolution in this region will only be the start of a world socialist revolution to end capitalism from the face of this earth and this and this is the uh, only movement to uh, realize the slogan of karl marx of workers of the world unite you have nothing to lose but change and socialist future uh, is the only future which can get rid us of this brutality thank you very much this is the only movement that really respects the translation thank you very much adam for an inspiring uh, intervention um for now we will take an almost half an hour break and we will resume the discussion again uh, at quarter to 4 british time so that's in 28 minutes uh so be back and be on time and as the first uh, speaker after the break we have serge gular from brazil uh and yes we're looking very forward to that so thank you very much everyone uh enjoy your break i think we're back on the air live uh hope you had a good break everyone Ya estamos de nuevo en vivo. Espero que todos han disfrutado su descanso. Uh, as you can hear, we now have a Spanish translator on the main YouTube uh, feed. Como podéis escuchar, ya tenemos un traductor en la uh, página de YouTube. Because the next speaker will be speaking in Spanish. Porque la próxima español. Uh, and uh, therefore, everyone who is listening in on the uh, on the Spanish Discord translation channel, 
Entonces, todos que están escuchando en el servidor español de Discord, uh, they should uh, uh, lower the volume of the Discord and uh, listening in on the main feed. De deben disminuir el volumen de Discord y escuchar en el, en el principal. Uh, so without further ado, I'll bring in Serge Goulart. Entonces ya voy a, a dar el paso a Serge Goulart. From the Brazilian section of the IMT. Go ahead, Serge. De la sección brasileña de la SEMI. Adelante, Serge. Camaradas, un saludo comunista para todos los que han trabajado para realizar esta universidad marxista internacional. Comrades, un saludo, Comrades, un saludo a todos que nos escuchan. A revolutionary salute to uh, all those who have organized this event and to all those who are listening to us now. El informe de Alan ha expresado el cuadro de la situación mundial en movimiento, el cuadro de la lucha de clases en que debemos actuar. The report from Alan has given us the big picture, uh, the big picture that we need to use uh, on how to act. Hay una situación convulsiva en el planeta y más que jamás la victoria es una tarea. There is a convulsive situation on the world scale um, which has never been seen before. Pero no va a surgir sola. Revoluciones pueden acontecer y van a acontecer. Pero sin un verdadero partido revolucionario estaríamos condenados a vivir como las olas del mar que crecen y después se terminan en espuma en la arena. Um, there will be revolutionary situations, but we need a revolutionary organization to take the leadership of these situations that will come and go uh, like waves on the on the sea, breaking on the sea, on the on the beach. Hay una guerra social declarada por la burguesía contra la clase trabajadora. Ellos pretenden remeternos a las condiciones de vida del siglo XIX. There is a social war by the bourgeoisie against the working class uh, which threatens to throw us back to the previous century, to the 19th century. Las armas con que trabajan son la xenofobia, las divisiones de guerras étnicas, guerras sectarias, racismo y una represión cada vez más brutal. Um, the weapons that they use are xenophobia, ethnic wars, sectarian wars and um, wars on an international scale. Los democráticos burgueses se dedican a destrozar las conquistas de libertades democráticas del proletariado. Y para esto, y para esto con, cuentan con los partidos reformistas que pretenden hablar en nombre de la clase trabajadora, pero defienden el capital. The bourgeois democrats threaten to destroy the victories that have been won in the past by the working class uh, and especially do this through the reformist parties. Please speak shorter bits, Serge. Sí, más, más corto, por favor. Ok. Estos partidos, en nombre de la lucha contra la pandemia, se unifican con los capitalistas contra la clase trabajadora y la humanidad. These parties fight in the name, against, uh, in the name uh, fighting against the uh, coronavirus pandemic, are uh, attacking the working class. En Francia, el Partido Socialista Comunista, Francia Insubimisa, Vota una ayuda de 300 mil eh, millones de euros para los, los bancos y 43 mil millones de euros para las empresas capitalistas, para que lo, luego se transformen en 400 mil millones de euros. 
Um, in France, the Socialist Party in France, Insoumise, have voted for 3 billion euros and, and later 43 billion euros to be given in credit to the big business in France. In Belgium, the Partido Socialista vota poderes especiales para el gobierno reaccionario burgués. In Belgium, the Socialist Party voted to um, put a bourgeois party in power. In Alemania, el SPD aprofundiza el bloco con la reaccionaria CDU. In Germany, the SPD um, formed a bloc with uh, right-wing parties. In España, Partido Socialista, Podemos y el Partido Comunista intentan salvar el capitalismo. In Spain, PSOE, Unidos Podemos and the uh, Communist Party in, tried to save the right wing. In Portugal, el gobierno del Partido Socialista aprueba una ley, una ley prohibiendo las huelgas durante la pandemia. In Portugal, uh, the left-wing Socialist Party passed a law prohibiting um, strikes during the pandemic. In Gran Bretaña, los diputados del Labour Party, de derecha y de izquierda, votan por un plan de salvamento de los capitalistas y todavía proponen un comité de recuperación nacional integrando los sindicatos al gobierno y al Estado. In the UK, Labour MPs, both left and right, voted for a plan to save the capitalists. Um, en Brasil no es diferente. In Brazil it's no, it's no different. Pero hay una resistencia y una lucha a pesar de las represiones, de las traiciones enormes en todo el planeta. But there is a resistance and a struggle uh, across all of these countries to fight against uh, the, the attacks on the working class. Well, a pesar de la pandemia, huelgas salvajes en Italia, Estados Unidos, nuevas huelgas en China, protestos en India y también en Brasil. Despite the pandemic, we've seen protests, massive protests across the US, India and even China and Brazil as well. Acá en Brasil... Por la pandemia, el Partido de Trabajadores y el Partido Comunista de Brasil firman un manifiesto en defensa de la democracia, en defensa de la orden y de la economía capitalista, junto con una enorme cantidad de burgueses y ex-gobernantes ex brasileños, incluso con ex-ministros de Bolsonaro. Uh, in Brazil, the PT and the PCB signed a decree alongside an enormous amount of bourgeois parties, including ex-ministers of um, Bolsonaro government, to support government. And they voted alongside the bourgeois senators and the um, Bolsonaro ministers to uh, freeze all, all uh, social payments. Es en esta situación que estamos construyendo la izquierda marxista, la corriente marxista internacional, porque vivimos hoy grandes acontecimientos. It is within this context that we are building Esquerda Marxista, the Brazilian section of the IMT, uh, and we have great obstacles to overcome. La ola revolucionaria que pasó por el planeta en 2019 no ha desaparecido. Fue represada, pero va a volver con mucho más fuerza. The revolutionary wave of last year, 2019, hasn't disappeared, but has been suppressed and will come back again in even bigger scale. Y en esta situación que la CMI realiza esta universidad marxista demostrando que es capaz de combatir en defensa del marxismo y de organizar la militancia 
revolucionaria necesaria. And it is in this context that the IMT has organized this university to fight in defense of the ideas of, of Marxism and to spread the revolutionary ideas. Más de 5.000 militantes, trabajadores jóvenes en más de 100 países discutiendo el marxismo es por sí solo un hecho histórico. More than 5,000 workers, students and young people of all corners of the earth participating in this event is uh, as a great historical moment. Y demuestra irrefutablemente la necesidad de construcción de una verdadera internacional marxista de masas. And irrefutably demonstrates the necessity to build a, a Marxist organization to lead the masses. Que ayude a construir partidos revolucionarios, obreros de masa. To, that helps build um, revolutionary workers' parties, mass workers' parties. Que nuestra tarea. Our task para empezar a construir el socialismo. To start building socialism. Y termino con unas palabras que todos ustedes conocen mucho, pero que expresan lo que pensamos, quién somos y qué deseamos, qué buscamos. And I'll end with a phrase that everybody knows, but it is crucial because it describes who we are and what we're fighting for. Particularmente a todos los miles que están por la primera vez Mirando cómo discute, cómo trata la teoría y la revolución, las tareas revolucionarias, la corriente marxista internacional. Y particularly for those who are listening for the first time, how we discuss these ideas of theory and how we build the IMT. Mesías, patrones, jefes supremos, no esperamos nada de nadie. Messiahs uh, and great bosses, we don't expect anything from anyone. Pronto verás que nuestras balas son para nuestros generales. Soon you will see that our bullets are for your generals. Bien unidos hagamos en la lucha final una tierra cenamos la internacional. We are unified together. We will fight together for the international. Combateremos y venceremos, camaradas. We will fight and we will overcome, comrades. Vive el socialismo internacional. Long live a socialist international. Gracias. Thank you. Thank you very much, Serge. One second. There we are. Thank you very much, Serge, uh, for that inspiring intervention. Uh, next up, we have uh, John Peterson from the belly of the beast, so to say, from the United States. Uh, if you just give me a moment, I will bring John in. Muchas gracias, Serge. Okay. Okay, John. All right. Well, first of all, I'd like to send warm Bolshevik greetings to everyone around the world from here in the United States. As Alan explained, we're living through a perfect storm of economic, political, and social crisis. Me escuchaste? It's a perfect storm of political, economic, and social crisis. And this is all part of a process of worldwide revolution. One second, John. I think we need to have a backup Spanish translator. Uh, and the INT has always explained that the United States would not be immune from this process. We've always highlighted the inspiring revolutionary and labor traditions of this country. We've explained that revolutions don't respect borders. And above all, we've explained that in a society divided into classes, you will inevitably have class struggle. Now, the U.S. was once a pillar of stability for world capitalism. N Now it's entirely destabilized and is playing a destabilizing role on a world scale. The COVID-19 crisis continues to rage. The U.S. has seen over 4 million confirmed cases so far, with just 1 million new cases in the last 15 days, 
But the real figures are much higher because of the disaster, uh, the disastrous state of testing. Uh, over 1,000 people are dying every day from coronavirus in this country. And there's been a rush to reopen the economy because, of course, they need to keep the profits flowing. 91,000 people have died since the country was formally reopened. At the same time, there are growing calls for another national shutdown since the first one was botched so badly. And this has all compounded the economic calamity, which was prepared by the entire previous period. Unemployment is officially just over 11 percent. But in reality, it is at least double that because people who lost a job but are not actively looking for work are no longer considered to be part of the labor force. There have been over 50 million unemployment claims now in the last few months. There are over 800,000 people unemployed in New York City alone. Trillions of dollars are being lost in revenues for cities and counties. So, so this is forcing cuts or reductions to already overstretched social services, mass layoffs for workers. The number of uh, business owners, small business owners, fell by over 3.3 million over the course of just two months. That's a fall of 22%, the largest drop in, on record. Back in, a, back in, back in April, uh, they asked restaurants how many, they, how many thought they could survive a six-month shutdown. And only 15% of restaurants thought they would still be open by this next December. So there's a restructuring of society and of the economy on a scale that has not been seen in decades. On top of this, there's the unprecedented handout of trillions of public dollars to the banks and to large corporations. And while millions of people are, are literally going hungry in the United States, and as many as 20 million people may be losing their homes in the next period, Jeff Bezos, the head of Amazon, the company Amazon, has added over $50 billion to his personal wealth over, the, over this year alone. And of course, it's, it's Latinos and black workers and young people in particular that are being hit especially hard. These layers of the class often have the most precarious jobs and are the first to be fired. Thousands of frontline essential workers who had to keep their jobs in order to, to survive, risked their lives, they lost their lives, but the workers are also fighting back. There have been hundreds, there have been hundreds of wildcat strikes demanding better pay and protections. Many of these have been combined with actions in solidarity with Black Lives Matter. In fact, the entire West Coast of the U.S. and Canada, 29 ports, were shut down for eight hours by longshore workers in solidarity. Now, the police murder of George Floyd was like a match that was thrown onto a drought-stricken prairie, the very dry forest. Now, his murder was not an accident, but it was a historical accident that expressed an underlying necessity. And that's the need for the masses to fight back against centuries of misery, of racism, of humiliation, of exploitation. And the movement spread like wildfire and it swept the entire country. Over 2,000 cities had protests. That includes, that includes small towns of just a few thousand people. In, in fact, it's estimated that around 10% of the U.S. adult population participated in one of these protests at least one of these protests. That's around 25 million people. And as Alan noted, the racial demographics of the protests have almost exactly matched the overall population. 
Now, as you will have seen on your television screens, the response of the state was outright brutality. 200 cities imposed curfews. Tear gas was used on protesters in at least 100 cities. And yet the movement continued and refused to back down for weeks. A police precinct in Minneapolis was burnt to the ground. Police were seen running away from protesters like rats. Donald Trump had to hide like a troll in a cave under the White House. And we even saw the rise of defense committees emerging in working class neighborhoods in several major cities. Now, poll after poll over the last few years has tracked the rising interest in socialism in the U.S. And this was given a big boost by the Bernie Sanders presidential campaigns. Big majorities among the youth now support socialism. Millions of them even support communism. And it's not only among the youth, but I think perhaps the most significant poll in the recent period was one that found that 54% of Americans supported the burning down of the police precinct in Minneapolis. That's, a, that's an astonishing figure. This is support for a de facto act of insurrection, not in, not in the abstract, but in practice. Now, inevitably, without a revolutionary leadership and an outlet, the Black Lives Matter movement is ebbing. The, the state has more or less regained its balance, at least relative to where it was a few weeks ago. Trump is sending anonymous federal agents to, to cities controlled by Democrats, uh, cities controlled by Democrats such as Portland. He wants to present himself as the candidate of law and order while painting the Democrats as the party of anarchy and disorder. 15 although, minutes course, gone. Although, of course, they are the party, one of the main parties of capitalist rule in this country. Because on top of all of this, there's a presidential election in November. Trump is potentially in trouble. Joe Biden is leading by a significant margin in several polls. There's growing splits in the Republican Party. Many of Trump's supporters seem to have finally abandoned him over his disastrous handling of the pandemic. But we should never count Trump out or underestimate the rottenness of the Democrats or how much millions of workers hate them. Because remember, Joe Biden is the establishment's choice. And after Sanders uh, capitulated yet again, that great disappointment of millions of people is gradually turning into support for a new mass party to the left of the Democrats. And we have to be clear, though, that unless and until the working class builds a mass party of its own, until it breaks with the vicious cycle of lesser evilism, something even more to the right than Trump can and will emerge in the future. Comrades, the recent elemental movement of ordinary workers in use ha has had a profound and life-changing impact on the consciousness of millions of people in the U.S. Two minutes left. It's shown the world that the U.S. is not one big reactionary block. It's shown the world that revolution is possible in this country. And this is only the beginning of the beginning of this process of polarization, of crisis, of struggle, of victories and defeats. But at root, this remains a crisis of capitalism. And there is only one way out of this crisis. The world working class has to kill capitalism before it kills us. And this is our historic mission. Thank you, comrades. Thank you very much to John. Uh, next up, uh, next up, I will bring in uh, Comrade Hans Gerd from Germany. Uh, if you just bear with me, I will try to unmute him. Uh, one minute, Hans. One second. Okay, you're on, Hans. Okay, comrades. Greetings from Germany. 
the cradle of Karl Marx and Friedrich Engels to comrades watching this magnificent session all over the world. <clears throat> this is an inspiring moment and Alan Woods has already outlined the, how the crisis has an unprecedented and global dimension. The crisis is also hitting Germany very hard and this is only the beginning of a turning point with long-lasting consequences. <clears throat> this underlines that the ideas of scientific socialism are very modern in the 21st century. Now there is one myth in many brains which says that the Germans are happy with Mama Merkel and will never fight. I would like to expose this myth. The present pandemic is just a trigger, not the deep root of the present capitalist crisis of overproduction. This pandemic reveals all the deep problems, scandals, inequality, imbalances, privatization, contradictions, injustice, and grievances that have existed and piled up for a very long time. This crisis is now being used to redistribute wealth in favor of the ruling class, the rich and the speculators that always try to make a fortune out of any crisis. But already towards the end of 2019, symptoms of the deep economic crisis have accumulated in Germany. Gross domestic product in Germany last year in 2019 only grew by 0.6%, which is nearly zero. And in the motor car sector, which is a key industry for Germany already in autumn, last September, October, there were clear symptoms of a crisis of overproduction. Long ago, a boss of BMW car company said, I know there are too many cars globally, but there are too few BMW cars. Now in summer 2020, which is a hot summer, we get daily messages about threatening workplace closures and massive sackings, destruction of jobs in the motor car sector, in airlines, shipyards, department stores, small shops, in, 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 in most sectors of the economy. There are local protest demos up and down the country from day to day, but there's no alternative and no joint struggle nationally and internationally offered by the trade union and workers' leaders. Five so minutes part, gone. Part of the German miracle in the past few years was the enormous casualization and cheap labor. Um, and uh, those workers on casual and temporary jobs contracts are the first to lose their jobs now and to be sacked. The official unemployment figures admit a growth of unemployment from 2.2 to nearly 3 mil million now, but this does not express the real dimension of the crisis. Unemployment statistics do not include self-employed people. Some, many of them are faced with ruin as a consequence of the lockdown, nor does it include students without rich parents and grants who have serious problems as they've lost their casual jobs due to the lockdown to finance their causes and their existence. Now, whereas in the United States, you hear about 40 million being made unemployed in the, in the question of days and weeks in Germany, they have an instrument still to buffer this development a bit. <clears throat> in Germany in April, there were 10 million workers out of work, but not lost their jobs, but on short-time compensation, which is a sort of subsidy out of the, 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 the workers' funds and the National Labor Exchange. And now there are still 6.8 million workers on short-time compensation money, uh, hoping for better times and fearing unemployment at the same time. 
and take these 6.8 million and compare this to the peak of the 2009 crisis, you see the difference because then in May 2009, the peak figure was 1.44 million workers on short-time compensation only. One of the one of the advantages of German capitalism has been in the last few decades, modern industry highly dependent on exports, exporting not only industrial goods, vehicles, machine tools and chemicals, but also tons, millions of tons of pork. Uh, but this advantage of German capitalism dependent on exports is now turning into an enormous disadvantage as, uh, you know, faced with the crisis. And this explains why the ruling class in Germany and Merkel present themselves as pro-European and desperately try to keep the European together somehow, because most exports go to European countries. And Comrade George from London has spoken on the European Union already. Ten Now minutes the gone. The crisis is increasingly affecting the south of Germany, uh, you know, historically prosperous areas with traditionally high living standards and low unemployment with big employers such as Daimler, BMW, Audi, Siemens, Bosch and others. But those areas will be uh, hit hard now as in the first six months of 2020, sales of, of the car industry have slumped by 35%. And uh, in the second quarter of uh, 2020, the slump was even 47%. So I can could give you lots of figures about the pessimism of the industrialists in the car industry and the supplier industry uh, down in the south. Hello? Rob, we need a Spanish translation. Uh, well, you know, many figures indicate that the, 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 the question of the, the, the crisis of the industry, especially in the south, is very serious. Some 15,000 jobs are at stake at Daimler alone. And two-thirds of the industrialists, you know, of industries uh, in the southwest, in the state of Baden-Württemberg, are pessimistic about the future, the coming months. And, of course, there's a massive, this is being used as, to blackmail the workers to accept any sort of sacrifices and give up many of the gains that they fought for in the last decades. At the same time, retired Daimler boss Dieter Chep. Chetze receives a pension of 4,250 euro a day. Now, while the big car manufacturers have accumulated reserves of some 100 billion euro altogether, many of the smaller industrial enterprises and supplier around the motor car producers could go bankrupt this coming autumn. One minute left, Hans. And there are fears that this might trigger off a new banking crisis. So anyway, we're faced with a completely new situation when uh, the employers are really on the on the offensive and try to to destroy everything that the workers have achieved in living standards and living and quality of life. For instance, uh, recently the government bailed out Lufthansa from bankruptcy with the nine billion they spent for this. They they pledged for this. They could have taken over completely nationalized Lufthansa, but of course they didn't want to. Please sum up, Hans. Yes. Anyway, I've. <laughs> Anyway, comrade, time is up, but I try to underline there is a readiness of the work, working class in Germany to fight, as we've seen with some cases. For instance, one factory, the southernmost German town of Sonthofen, there was a five-week-long struggle against the closure of a factory. And there could be a hot autumn big strike movement in the public transport sector, where after years of privatization, worsening of conditions, there's rage and militancy of the workers. And this has grown enormously. 
the there's also a movement of youth, as we see with the solidarity with the Black Lives Matter, which attracted tens of thousands in June. Please sum up, Hans. Yes. So to sum up, there will be enormous uh, bitterness and struggles in Germany. And I would like to quote uh, not Engels, but a liberal a member of parliament for, to, to finish my statement. Liberal parliamentarian Marco Buschmann said, quite soon revolution could be in the air if things continue like this, as, as soon as the German middle class will find out that their job is finished and their private savings through shares are bust, they will radicalize. Comrades, I could give you many more examples, but the main thing is we must be prepared for this future. We need a socialist program to use the potential of industry and science, not for private profit, but for, for the benefit of mankind and environment. The slogan of the Socialist United States of Europe is more urgent than ever, and we need a Marxist leadership, and therefore let's go forward to building the IMT. Thank you. Thank, thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Hans Gerd. And thank you, everyone who's, who's uh, joined in and been, uh, been, been watching today's uh, session, which has been excellent so far. We're all very excited about this event, but we also need to eat. So now we will take an almost one-hour break so you can have your lunch or dinners wherever you live in the world. And we'll be back at 5.30 p.m. UK time. So that's in 53 minutes, ready to continue from the excellent debate we've had so far. Thank you very much, everyone. Okay, welcome back, everyone. Um, I hope you had a, a good rest. Uh, without further ado, we'll go on to the next uh, speaker, who is from the Italian section of the International Marxist Tendency, is Alessandro Giardello. Uh, one second, Alessandro. Buenas tardes. One minute. One second, Alessandro. Wait. Okay. We need to have the translation ready. Rob, are you ready? Ready. Okay. Go ahead, Alessandro. Buenas tardes, compañero. Un saludo desde Italia. Good afternoon, comrades. Uh, greetings from Italy. Como ha planteado el compañero Alan, estamos dentro de un cambio fundamental de la relación de clases a nivel internacional. As Alan has mentioned, we are at a turning point in the relationship between uh, classes at an international level. In Italy también. Voy a, in Italy voy a as well. Voy a explicarlo de una forma puntual. I'm going to explain now in a concise manner. La gestión cínica, clasista, hipócrita e implacable de la emergencia sanitaria ha dejado un profundo rancor dentro de la clase trabajadora en este país. The atrocious, uh, corrupt and deplorable um, way that the current government has managed the pandemic has uh, stirred up a fury, uh, fury in, the, in the masses in Italy. Este rancor se va fortaleciendo en la fase 2, así llamada fase 2, cuando se ha vuelto masiva, masivamente a la producción. Uh, this anger has been uh, strengthening during the second phase of the of the confinement uh, when industry has been opened up again. Porque después de los sacrificios, enormes sacrificios que han hecho los trabajadores, because para, uh, after the enormous sacrifices of the workers, el agradecimiento de la burguesía ha sido doblar los turnos. Esa idea que se tiene es que recuperar toda la producción que se ha perdido. Quitar descansos, been to quitar vacaciones. The, has been to double the workload and remove holidays for the workers. Se está trabajando el sábado, el domingo, 12, 14 horas al they're día. Work, they're working 12 to 14 hour days, including on the weekend, Saturday and Sunday. 
sin remuneración de paga extraordinaria, todos without, los premios que se habían prometido, que la burguesía y el gobierno habían prometido. Without extra pay, which is what the government had actually promised beforehand. Ahora se están negando, sobre todo a los trabajadores del sector sanitario que han now estado en primera línea durante la emergencia. Now they're denying these payouts, uh, especially amongst the uh, the health workers who have been uh, losing their life, risking their lives during the pandemic. Compañero, no somos moralistas. Comrades, este, we're, not, we're not moralists. Este rancor, esta rabia que se está acumulando dentro de la clase trabajadora en su conciencia. This anger that is accumulating in the conscience of the classes, of the working class. Es algo que va a tener grandes consecuencias en el futuro. Is something that is going to have severe consequences in the, in the future. Lo hemos visto muchas veces en el pasado. And we've seen this many times in the past. La convocación de huelga desde abajo que hemos visto en la jornada de marzo, en los días de marzo. The calling of the strike uh, from below that we saw on the 10th of March. Fueron totalmente espontáneas. Was completely spontaneous. Contra las indicaciones de las dirigentes sindicales. Against the instructions of the leadership of the trade unions. Ha, ha habido una movilización extraordinaria de la clase trabajadora. There's been an extraordinary mobilization of the working class. En la que se ha implicado como 100.000 trabajadores. In which 100,000 workers have been uh, implicated, involved in. Sobre todo obrero industrial. Mainly industrial workers. Que estaba rabioso por el total desinterés de la clase dominante a sus condiciones. Who are completely furious with the ruling class who have a complete disinterest for their, for their uh, interests. Esto representa un cambio fundamental, un giro fundamental en la situación política. This represents a complete shift, a complete change in the political situation. Hay que remontar a los años 90, al año 92, 93, Lo que se ha llamado la temporada de los tornillos. You have to go back to the 90s, to 1992 and 1993, which is known as the uh, era of the um, screws. Para encontrar una movilización de esta magnitud. To find a mobilization of this magnitude. Con estas características totalmente espontáneas, convocada desde abajo de los trabajadores. With these characteristics of spontaneous uh, mobilization from below. Y sobre todo en las grandes fábricas del país. And mainly in the biggest uh, factories of the, of the country. Representando el humor, la rabia, la rabia espantosa que había entre millones de trabajadores. Which represents this fear, uh, fearsome anger that is um, uh, bubbling up amongst the masses. De hecho, esta movilización obrera ha cambiado la posición del gobierno. In fact, this workers' mobilization has changed the government's position. Five minutes gone. Ha cambiado la política de las burocracias sindicales. It's changed the um, politics, the policies of the um, trade union bureaucracy. Se ha conseguido, por ejemplo, la, eh, el paro de los de lo, de lo despidos por ley, algo que nunca había pasado en ese país. For example, they've won the uh, freezing of sackings, uh, the law of sackings, which has never been achieved in this country. Claro, es un paro temporáneo. Sure, for sure, it is a temporary sacking. También la huelga que se consiguió fue una huelga muy parcial. Also, the strike that was called was only a partial strike. 
la patronal está volviendo a una ofensiva muy fuerte, muy brutal. The bosses are back on the on a very strong offensive, a brutal offensive. Esto es una receta acabada para la lucha de clase en el próximo otoño. This is a recipe for a working class struggle uh, in the next autumn. Pero lo que es fundamental, compañeros, But what is essential, comrades, es que fue la clase obrera, su movilización, que rompió el clima de paz social. Is that this mobilization of the working class broke the um, social peace. Que rompió la unidad nacional. Broke the national unity. Que los reformistas y los dirigentes sindicales that the reformists and the trade union leaders habían acordado con la patronal y con el gobierno had agreed with the bosses and with the government en esta situación nuestra organización en Italia in this situation our organization in Italy no solo ha empezado a crecer de una forma importante entre la juventud y sobre has, todo un sector de la juventud obrera has not only begun to grow massively significantly amongst the youth but, but almost importantly amongst the young workers se nos está lanzando en una batalla contra los reformistas y contra la dirección sindical. Is launching a fight against the reformists and against the trade union leadership. Que buscan nuevos pactos sociales. Who are looking for new uh, social pacts. Social no hay condiciones para pacto social. There are no conditions for social pacts. And, and ya lo explicó muy bien el compañero Alan. Alan has now explained very well. Ya el compañero Josh también de, de Reino Unido explicó lo que está pasando en la Unión Europea. And Josh has explained very well what's occurring in the European Union. La Merkel es verdad que has cambiado de posición. Angela Merkel, it's true, has changed her position. Fue un cambio parcial. It was a partial change. Fue un cambio necesario porque no a... se podía mantener con Italia y España la misma posición que tuvieron en el año 2013-2014 con Grecia y Portugal. It was a necessary change because it couldn't maintain the position with Italy and Spain, the same position that they had with Greece in 2013 and 2014. Grecia representa el 1,2% del PIB de la Unión Europea. Greece represents 1,2% of the European GDP. Portugal representa el 1,3%. And Portugal represents 1,3%. Italia es el 12% del PIB de la Unión Europea. Italy is 12% of the European GDP. Quiere decir 10 veces más. That's to say 10 times more. No pueden permitirse la quiebra de Italia. You cannot allow the bankruptcy of Italy. Y también tienen otros problemas. And they also have other problems. La enorme deuda estatal, ya lo explicó Josh, The enormous state debt that Josh has now explained. Y sobre todo la enorme deuda de los bancos italianos que pueden derrocar todos los bancos de Europa. Is mainly uh, a debt held by the Italian banks which could bring down the, the whole of the European Union. Que ha llegado a 980 mil millones de euros. Which has reached a staggering amount of 98 billion euros. Eso, eh, Italia sigue siendo... La segunda potencia industrial de Europa. Uh, Italy continues to be the second industrial powerhouse uh, of no, Europe. No en volumen, pero sí en valor añadido. Not in volume, but in added value. Un default de Italia representaría la destrucción de la Unión Europea. Ten minutes and, gone. 
a, a collapse of Italy would represent a collapse of the Un European Union. Y además vamos a ver qué pasó con Grecia y Portugal. And in, on top of that, we're going to see what happened with Greece and Portugal. Porque esa crisis tan profunda because this crisis is so deep está provocando una guerra comercial entre China y Estados Unidos. It's provoking a commercial war between China and the U.S. Y la lucha principal entre estos dos países se va a hacer en la Unión Europea. And the main fight is going to take place on the ground of the European Union between these two countries. China prácticamente compró el puerto del Pireo en Grecia. China practically bought um, the port of Bideo in Italy. Hay la enorme eh, novedad que por primera vez en Europa se han emitido bonos en moneda china, yuan. For the first time, um, yuan has been um, entered in uh, to the European economy. Esto ha pasado en Portugal, lo que han llamado el panda bond. This is what's happened in Portugal and it's called the Panda Bond, bread, hay Bond hay, Bread. Hay una enorme penetración del capital chino en Grecia y Portugal. There's an enormous penetration of uh, Chinese capital in Portugal and Greece. Y lo mismo China está intentando hacerlo con Italia, con varios uh, acuerdos comerciales. And the self-same China is trying to do the same, uh, penetrate into Italy with various uh, agrees, agreements with the government. Merkel y Macron cambiaron de línea también porque necesitan de una fortaleza y eso sería la Unión Europea para defenderse de la penetración de China que de una forma desesperada está buscando mercados en, uh, en, uh, en la Unión Europea. Merkel and Macron have changed their position to create a fortress of the European Union in order to block the, um, the penetration of Chinese capital, which is looking for markets in, in Europe. Estamos atravesando una situación muy interesante, compañeros. We're passing through a very interesting time, comrades. Un cambio de conciencia de la clase, repentino. Uh, a sudden change in the consciousness of the working class. Y ya no tengo tiempo para explicar... Lo que va a pasar en la juventud, eso será la hostia. Uh, I don't have time to explain now, but what will happen amongst the youth will be uh, earth-shattering. Después de cuatro meses con escuela cerrada y universidad cerrada, after four months of closed schools and closed universities, no hay ninguna condición para volver en septiembre a abrir las escuelas otra vez. There are no conditions to return to uh, opening the schools and the universities again in September. Están los profesores en el pie de guerra. The teachers are on a war footing. Y los estudiantes también. No hay prácticamente ningún sector en ese and, momento que no está reclamando luchas. And the students are on a war footing as well. And there, I can, can't say that there's any sector that is not uh, on a war footing uh, Uh, demanding uh, change. Y al mismo tiempo, una crisis abismal de los reformistas, de los dirigentes sindical. And at the same time, an abysmal crisis of the trade union leaders and the reformists. Que nunca han tenido una autoridad tan baja dentro del movimiento. Who have never had such a low level of authority in the movement. Son condiciones ideales para la construcción de la organización revolucionaria. Ideal conditions for the construction of the revolutionary organization. De nuestra internacional, la CMI. Our international, the IMT. A mí me recuerda un espléndido artículo que escribió, escribió hace muchos años 
el compañero Ted Grant. I remember an article that Ted Grant and uh, a splendid article that Ted Grant wrote many years ago. En el año 1941 durante la Segunda Guerra Mundial. In 1941 during the Second World War. Preparándose, preparándonos por el poder. Preparing us for power. Hay que leerlo, hay que estudiarlo, hay que prepararnos. You have to read it, you have to study it, we have to prepare ourselves. Hay que construir la organización, hay que formar los cuadros dentro del movimiento, construir okay. raíces. You have to build the organization, develop cadres and develop sync groups into the workers' movement. La crisis es muy profunda. The crisis is very deep. Todavía no estamos listos para nuestra tarea. We're still not ready for our task. Pero sí estamos dando pasos importantes. But we are taking important steps forward. Y quiero decirlo a todos los compañeros que nosotros hemos lanzado una lucha también dentro del sindicato mayoritario en ese país. And I want to say to the comrades that we too have launched a fight within the major trade union in Italy. Declarando una corriente sindical clasista. Declaring a trade union class uh, current. Combativa y revolucionaria. Mm -hmm. Combative and revolutionary. Que son las ideas que buscan el movimiento, que buscan un nuevo sector de jóvenes trabajadores que se acercan a la lucha. And these are the ideas that the workers are looking for, especially young workers are, are coming towards our ideas, revolutionary ideas. Esto es nuestra tarea, compañeros. And this is our task, comrades. Lo que estamos desarrollando en todo el mundo. What we're developing across the world. Hay avances importantes de nuestra internacional. There's important advances of our international. En el Reino Unido, en Estados UK, Unidos, US, en Brasil, in Brazil, en cada país donde lo miras, donde lo quieres mirar. In every in every country where you look. Se ve que hay un giro radical. There is a radical change. Un cambio de conciencia fundamental. A, a fundamental change in consciousness. Que ha cerrado definitivamente una situación de reflujo que en Italia se había mantenido bastante tiempo. Which has closed off a long period of, um, of ebb, uh, which has ended now in Italy. Y ahora no tenemos excusas. Now we have no excuses. Hay que tomar la iniciativa. We have to take the initiative. Hay que construir la organización. We have to build the organization. Lo que están buscando milenas, centenas de milenas de jóvenes, de trabajadores what thousands of workers and young workers are looking for. Una organización que tenga la capacidad an organization with the ability de, de acabar con ese sistema. to end this system. El capitalismo, que es un sistema podrido. Capitalism, which is a rotten system. Es un sistema superado históricamente. It's a system that has uh, reached its end historically. Pero si es verdad, no se va a quitar por sí solo. But it's true that it's not going to end by itself. Tenemos que construir un partido potente. We have to build a strong party. De los trabajadores. Of the workers. Internacional. Internationally. Que permita la clase obrera. Which allows the working class. Tomar el poder. To take power. Y acabar con ese sistema. And end this system. Gracias, compañeros. Thank you, comrades. Thank you very, very much, Alessandro. The next speaker we have is from Britain. Comrade James Kilby. Alessandro, eh, ahora tendremos al siguiente. Go ahead. If you just bear with me, I'll bring in James. Go ahead, James. Okay, thank you, Hamid. So, comrades, greetings from London. I'm going to talk about the situation in Britain. 
British capitalism was already in trouble before the pandemic. Now with the coronavirus, Britain is entering its worst crisis for at least 300 years. The OECD predicts that Britain will experience the worst downturn of any advanced capitalist country. They predict GDP to collapse by 11.5% by the end of the year. And that is without a second wave of the virus. This is the product of the long-term decline of British capitalism over many decades. The ruling class has largely abandoned industry in favour of speculation. The working class has been relentlessly squeezed to maintain profitability. Millions are forced to work in the so-called gig economy, on zero-hours contracts for poverty pay. The economy was therefore extremely fragile before the pandemic. Thousands of zombie companies were being propped up by an influx of cheap credit. Living conditions were already desperate. Last year, 14 million lived in poverty. The pandemic will therefore push millions over the edge. Unemployment is predicted to skyrocket to at least 12% by the end of the year. This is approximately 4 million workers. Already, large companies have announced over 100,000 job losses. Tens of thousands of small businesses will go bankrupt. Those still in work will see their conditions brutally attacked. And this is all before the impact of Brexit, which will come into effect at the start of next year. Negotiations with the EU have currently stalled. If they fail to reach a deal, it will be a calamity for British capitalism. Many industries won't survive the imposition of tariffs. They will simply shut down production. Millions of workers are hoping that Brexit will provide a relief from the nightmare conditions they experience. Many supported the Tory government in order to get Brexit done. But a, capital, but a capitalist Brexit won't solve any of their problems. In reality, they will be magnified. What support the Tories had from some workers because of Brexit Five minutes gone. will be largely replaced by anger. Already the Tories are becoming deeply unpopular due to their handling of the pandemic. The ruling class needs serious leaders in a period of deep crisis. But all they have is Boris Johnson, a clown surrounded by other clowns. The government's response to the pandemic was a disaster. Their initial plan was to go for herd immunity instead of a lockdown. Boris Johnson told people to prepare to see your loved ones die. When it became clear that hundreds of thousands would indeed die and overwhelm the healthcare system, the government changed course. But it was already too late. Britain has one of the highest excess death rates per million in the world. Over 65,000 people are estimated to have died as a result of the pandemic. It is thought that about half of these deaths would have been avoided if the government had imposed a lockdown earlier. Many thousands have died due to the lack of personal protective equipment. The whole of the government's response has been shambolic. Although there was an initial boost in support for the government, they are now becoming hated. As a result, support for independence in Scotland has risen to around 50%. This further complicates the situation for the British ruling class. A situation which will only get worse. The pandemic has resulted in a colossal government budget deficit. This year alone, the deficit is predicted to be between 350 and 516 billion pounds. This will require huge austerity to eliminate. They will need to implement cuts of three to four times those seen in the previous decade. Remember, that austerity was partly responsible for transforming the political situation. It had a big impact on consciousness. In 2011, there was a massive wave of public sector strikes involving over 3 million workers. 
2014, the Scottish independence referendum nearly saw the breakup of the UK. In 2015, Jeremy Corbyn became leader of the Labour Party. Ten minutes gone. And in 2016, we had the Brexit referendum. Since then, we have seen the collapse of the government and the Tories suspend Parliament. The ruling class is split. It cannot, it cannot govern in the old way. Nothing remains as it was before. This process will rapidly accelerate as a result of this crisis. Services have already been cut to the bone. Councils are at breaking point. Eight out of ten local councils are facing bankruptcy by the end of the year. Massive austerity will be the order of the day. The British working class is facing a catastrophe in the coming months and years. Class struggle will be unavoidable. The trade unions have already seen an influx of new members. The effect of these events on consciousness will be dramatic. More and more people are becoming open to revolutionary ideas or drawing revolutionary conclusions. But the leaders of the labour movement are attempting to hold back the struggle. Keir Starmer is attempting to drag the Labour Party back to the right. But with these conditions of radicalisation, he will have a battle on his hands. 13 minutes gone. The anger below the surface will have to find an expression somehow. Overall, the ground is being prepared for a social explosion. Thank you, comrades. Thank you very much for that, James. Uh, the next speaker will be Jorge Martin from the International Marxist Tendency. I will just unmute you, Jorge. Go ahead. Okay, comrades, the, I wanted to make three points in this discussion. The first one is that already before the pandemic and the capitalist crisis that we're living in, there were revolutionary events taking place. Uh, in Latin America, for instance, uh, in the second part of last year, we saw a succession of mass movements with insurrectionary characteristics. We had uh, the, the mass movement which overthrew the governor of Puerto Rico just one year ago from now. Uh, we also saw last year uh, months and months of a national uprising in Haiti against the president Jovenel Moise, a movement which repression could not stop despite the fact that hundreds were killed. Hundreds. Then in October, then in October, we saw a national uprising in Ecuador against a package of cuts and austerity measures imposed by the government of Lenin Moreno in, in that country. The masses converged on the capital. There was a national strike and the government was forced to flee the presidential palace and abandon uh, the capital. The masses organized the People's Guard, an indigenous guard, to defend themselves against repression and attempted to install a People's Assembly in place of the national parliament. This was not simply a protest movement. It was an insurrection, which, the repre which repression could not stop, despite the fact that uh, about 20 people were killed. Finally, the movement uh, dissipated because the, the leadership reached a deal with the government, a compromise with the government, and they were not prepared to take the fight to the end. But all the conditions were there for the overthrow of the Lenin Moreno government. This was then followed by a national uprising in Chile between October and November and December. 
The movement started uh, as a protest against the increase in the fares of the Santiago de Chile subway system, a movement which was uh, led by the very young school students, the liceistas, and amongst them, particularly very young uh, women, uh, young women were at the forefront of this movement. But this was only a spark. Five in, rea in reality, the movement was against the whole regime. People said this is not about 30 pesos, which was the fair increase. This is not about 30 pesos. This is about 30 years, meaning 30 years of anti-working class uh, policies which had been applied in Chile by governments of the right and also governments of the left, in inverted commas. The government of Piñera used brutal repression against the movement, declaring the state of emergency, a curfew, bringing the army on the streets, but this did not stop the movement. The people organized in people's assemblies and cabildos abiertos, which are open mass neighborhood uh, meetings, and also, like in Ecuador, they organized self-defense for the demonstrations, which in Chile was called the Primera Línea, the front line. This culminated on November the 12th with a general strike, which came from below. The right-wing government of Piñera was against the ropes, but it was saved at the last minute by a national agreement signed by all parliamentary parties, from the right to the left with the only exception of the Communist Party. But the Communist Party did not offer a different uh, perspective. Having no clear leadership or clear perspective, the movement dissipated eventually. But this is only a temporary question. The lockdown put everything on hold, on pause. But in the last week, we have seen the resurgence of the movement in a battle over the question of the private pension system, the, AF, the AFP, the there has been a strike of the dock workers. There was a national pots and pans banging protest despite the lockdown. Splits in the ruling class and the pressure from below led to a defeat of the government in parliament. The government is seriously weakened and could fall at any time. A new uprising is on the cards. Ten minutes gone. Because, because all of the reasons that led to the uprising in, uh, in October, November remain there. In both cases, Ecuador and Chile, we see common elements, common features. One, an insurrectionary movement which is not cowed by repression. Two, the masses organizing their own bodies of struggle under different uh, names. Three, the organization of self-defense by the movement against state repression. In Chile and in Ecuador, the only thing that prevented the overthrow of the regime and the possibility of the workers coming to power was the lack of a revolutionary leadership. And these are the types of movements, insurrectionary movements, which we will see more of in this period that we are in. We already, we already saw them last year in Sudan, in Lebanon, in Algeria, in Iraq. And I will say that the Black Lives Matter uprising in the United States also shares some of these uh, features, particularly in the case of Minneapolis, and in recent days in Portland, uh, Oregon. The second point I wanted to make very briefly is to note that there is now a generation of young people who became politically aware at the time of the previous crisis of capitalism in 2008. For them and for the generation after them, 
their whole lives have been marked by capitalist crises, austerity cuts, and mass movements. They are wide open to socialist and communist ideas, and they have played a key role at the forefront of the movements that I have mentioned. Finally, about the impact of the current crisis on consciousness. If we look back to 2008, that crisis gave rise to mass protest movements and a general questioning of the capitalist system. We saw the indignados in Spain, the Occupy movement in the US, 15 minutes gone, Syntagma Square in, uh, in Greece, and many others. That also had a political expression. That then had a political expression in the rise of movements like Syriza, Podemos, Melenchon, Sanders, and Corbyn, which at least in name seem to be challenging the capitalist austerity. Those, those formations were put to the test and they were, and they were, and they failed because they remained within the limits of the capitalist system. The crisis that we, that we are living in now will be deeper than the, the one in 2008. And therefore, the impact on consciousness will be bigger as well and will be also based on the previous experience. The, the terrain will be favorable for us, for revolutionary Marxists, but nothing is automatic in class struggle. We need to build a revolutionary leadership. Thank you. Thank you very much, Jorge. Uh, now we have Nick's, Nicholas Albin Svensson, also from the International Marxist Tendency. Uh, before that, just a reminder for everyone to keep sharing the pictures and videos on social media. It's very encouraging to see. And it is, uh, and, and it's, and it's helping spreading the word about the, the, this event. Also, if you agree with the ideas that you hear, uh, please go onto our website, marxist.com, where you'll find, where you'll find many, many articles, uh, theoretical analysis, but where you can also join, uh, apply or uh, write to us to join, join the organization, join the International Marxist Tendency and help build the revolutionary force that uh, many of the comrades have been talking about. Uh, and now uh, I'll give the word to Nicholas. Go ahead. Uh, thank you. And uh, greetings from London. I'm uh, sure you'll be surprised to hear that it's raining here today. Um, now, I want to speak about the economy. Uh, the capitalist economy is in its deepest crisis, and there is no way out. Uh, in the 1950s and 1960s, ca capitalism experienced a massive upswing, particularly in the West. And with that economic growth, it allowed a number of reforms for the workers in the West in particular. But ever since uh, those decades, things have gotten gradually worse. Growth has fallen, investment has fallen, and productivity of labor, the growth of that, has fallen as well. And to combat this, the ruling class and the governments introduced a series of attacks of, on the working class. Their aim was to make capital cheaper by raising profits, to increase the amount of credit in the system, to boost investments. But investments kept falling, so workers uh, and workers had to work harder and harder, and they were getting less and less back. Now, the ruling class told us in those decades that if we could only bring the growth back to the levels of the past, then we can also bring back the reforms of the past. But in spite of all the attacks, all uh, 
no growth came and no reforms came. And then the crisis of 2008 hit. Uh, again, we were told to work harder and, uh, and eventually we would get back to growth. But very little growth was forthcoming. And what little economic growth that, that came was appropriated by the capitalist class. Uh, the economists uh, or the commentators talked about a feel-bad recovery. Then about nine months ago, the recession began again. It started in Japan and Germany in the autumn and winter last year. And then in January, we had the coronavirus came along. And it could have stopped the coronavirus. They could have at the very least slowed down its, the outbreak significantly. But in the crucial month of February, they uh, prevaricated. Uh, they were too scared of the consequences that this would have for the world economy or for their own national economies, more like. Because the governments already knew that the economy was in a bad state. And if they closed down, things would go, uh, get worse. And so, the, but they had to close down anyway. But the economic consequences, as well as the human consequences, was much greater because of this prevarication and delay. But now they're telling us that the crisis is caused by the coronavirus. And they claim that the crisis of 2008 was caused by bad mortgages in the United States. They claim that oil was the reason behind the crisis of 1973, and so on. It doesn't take a degree in economics to understand that this crisis was not caused by the coronavirus. The, uh, the virus only made a bad situation worse. Uh, so for a whole period, they have been attempting to solve the crisis by uh, lowering the uh, cost of credit. Five minutes gone. By lowering interest rates. Uh, and this has gone on since the 1960s. Well, really since the 1980s in particular. But this only led to a massive explosion of debt. World debt is now estimated to be 250% of GDP, which is two and a half times the world economy. That's the size of the debt. And that's up from around 100% in uh, the mid-1960s. And that's an increase from around 100% in the 1960s. And in particular, it has grown dramatically in China over the last 10 years. As the Chinese were trying to replicate what the rest of the world, what the advanced capitalist countries had been doing up to 2008. But in spite of all this growth in, uh, growth in debt, they didn't have any investments, didn't grow. And productivity did not increase, or very little. Uh, it only grew by 8% in the whole of the decade between, that followed 2008. Um, and now we're facing another crisis. And this time they can't lower interest rates because they're already at zero. All they can do is expand, yet again, their uh, programs of quantitative easing, which uh, is uh, printing money, but virtually. And they're doing this now in order to fund unprecedented uh, budget deficits in, by governments. In the US, we're meant to have a conservative president, Republican president. I know if you remember the Tea Party movement, the congressmen and congresswomen who supported the Tea Party are now backing Trump. And these were supposed to be the party of uh, reducing the state debt and no budget deficits. 10 minutes gone. But now the US federal deficit is 24% of GDP this year. And it might get even bigger because they're horse trading at the moment in uh, Congress, trying to come up with another rescue package. The average deficit in the advanced capitalist countries by central government is 17%. And that doesn't even count the huge amounts of loans that they are handing out to big business all around the world. They were told, we were told that the state had no role to play in the economy, 
But now the state is the only thing that's keeping the economy afloat by running these massive uh, deficits. How long can they keep this up? Well, there is no precise answer to that question. At some point, they will have to reduce these deficits. Um, And it's no accident that they're talking now openly about the threat of revolution. Well, when I say they're talking openly, they're talking in the business press where no worker can hear what they are saying. But the question that's going to be raised, as Alan mentioned, is who is going to pay? At some point, that question will be posed. This is not a normal uh, cyclical crisis, the kind that happens every few years. But this is a long term. Uh, this crisis has been coming for a very long time. And they have been pushing it off, trying to postpone that evil day. But they can no longer postpone it. This is the fundamental crisis of the whole system. And uh, uh, there's only two ways out, socialism or barbarism. Uh, thank you very much, Niklas, for that excellent intervention. Uh, and now we will go on uh, to have a short break until 7 p.m. Uh, UK time. So that's 22 minutes from now. After the break, uh, Alan will come back in again and reply to the, the points which have been raised in the discussion. And we'll also have the international collection financing the revolution, uh, where we have many interesting interventions as well. So see you in a couple of minutes. Bye. <laughs> okay. Welcome back, everyone. Uh, as you, I, as I think you all agree, this has been an excellent discussion so far. Uh, as a proof of the enthusiasm, I can tell you that uh, this, the Marxist University is actually trending in Pakistan. And there's been uh, hundreds of, of tweets and posts on other social media around the world. So keep up the good work. Now I'll hand the word back to Alan Woods, who will sum up the discussion. I have an impossible task now. <laughs> yes, uh, but uh, you can give it a try, Alan. Go. Yes. Well, comrades, I now, I'm now faced with an impossible task. All the comrades spoke extremely well, but I'm very limited for time. So I'm afraid I have to be very telegraphic. First of all, I think comrade Jorge Martin was quite right to remind us that these revolutionary upheavals, which, which we can see on the world scale, already began last year. With tremendous revolutionary movements in the Sudan, in Lebanon, in Iraq, in Ecuador, in Chile and other countries. So that underlines the point that I made earlier, that these upheavals today do not come from nowhere, but they are, but they are the result of an accumulation of anger and rage which has developed over, the, over at least the last decade, if, if not decades. And we have to understand that sudden and sharp changes are implicit in the situation. And as Comrade Jorge said quite correctly, People are wide open to our ideas. Yes, there is a, 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 a de- clearly a developing anti-capitalist mood developing now in all countries, I would say. It partly reflects, of course, the, 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 the obscene levels of inequality that exist in the world. The gulf that separates rich and poor today, it's never been seen in, in history, I think. A diferença entre os ricos e os pobres que existe hoje nunca existiu antes na história. And therefore, our ideas are seen as, as relevant today. They're relevant because for the simple reason that they accurately reflect the real situation. 
now that that wasn't always the case, by the way. It wasn't always the case. Uh, and of course, particularly in a country like the USA, I listened with, uh, with great attention to the intervention of Comrade John Peterson, my old friend John. And he pointed out, which is, an, if, if you think about it, it's an astonishing figure, that at least 10% of the population of the United States actually participated physically in these revolutionary protests. 10%. I'm not sure if 10% of the population of Tsarist Russia participated actively in the revolution in 1970, and I'd have to check my facts. But listening to John, I, I just remembered, I saw a very interesting program on television last night, actually. It was about the Black Panthers. That, that, was, that was an extraordinary movie, absolutely extraordinary. I remember it very well. I was, I was around at the time. But this was a movement. It wasn't. It was not a black nationalist movement. That's entirely false. They were militant anti anti capitalist revolutionaries. Of course, the starting point was the black struggle, the struggle against the oppression of the black people. Of course, but they understood very clearly that the black the blacks were oppressed not just because they were blacks, but because they were poor and because they were workers. That they understood the class question, and they and they they, they appealed to the to the to the white to working class and the white youth, of course, they did. Five minutes gone, and they got they got quite a, quite an echo, as a matter of fact. Yeah, but they didn't they didn't get the kind of echo you see now in the in these latest movements. It's tragic, actually, because they were crushed. Of course, they were brutally crushed by the police, precisely because they were crushed by a deliberate decision. It was on the program by Ed, by Ed, Ed, Edgar J. Hoover, the, this pastor, this reactionary swine, who led the the FBI at the time, he made a conscious decision to crush them because he recognized they were very, uh, they were a serious danger to the established order. They were, they were, yes, he decided, they decided to crush them and they were, by God, they were crushed, vicious, brutally crushed. But this, this, this kind of uprising, that's what they were aiming for, to provoke, to provoke a mass uprising, like the one you, you now see developing in this. And I was thinking, what's the difference, you know? What, what is the difference between then and now? Even in those days, of course, you had the beginnings of a crisis of capitalism. That was, it was just starting. Yeah, that's true. But it had not yet reached the critical point where masses of people begin to, to question the existence of capitalism. That point had not, had not yet been reached, unfortunately. I think that up until quite recently, John will correct me, but up until fairly recently, uh, not many people in the States actually would question the existence of the capitalist system as such. I, th- I think that that's a fair observation. But now, as John says, there's a, there's a huge change in consciousness. He quoted the figures of, for the rise of in, interested socialism in the USA. There, there are many polls that have been published, very interesting polls. I haven't seen the one that John quoted, but I, I remember a, a few years ago, this is when, when Bernie Sanders just had just begun to, uh, to uh, be accepted as a candidate, as a potential candidate. And if my memory serves me correctly, this is a couple of years ago now, if my memory serves me correctly, 67% of the youth said that they would vote for a socialist candidate, which is incredible, but even, even more incredible was the comments by some, uh, some right-wing uh, journalists. He said, oh, well, there's no need to worry about this. I wouldn't worry too much. That's just the youth, the young, young kids. But uh, when it comes to older people, people above the age of 65, only 33% would support the socialist candidate. 
I thought to myself, I thought to myself, Jesus Christ, after, after decades of, of constant attacks against socialism and communism, which they said was the same, you know, this is anti, anti-communist propaganda. The fact that, that 33% of people above the age of 65 would vote for a socialist candidate, I think that was an extraordinary state of affairs. And that was a couple of years ago. The figures have moved on since then, I'm convinced. Ten minutes passed. Yes. 54%, as John said, 54% supported the burning down of the police precinct in Minneapolis. Astonishing. I mean, that, that as, as John said, that's a revolutionary act. That's an insurrectionary act. And it had the support of 54% of the population. I would describe that not as a huge change. I would describe that as a seismic change. Now, of course, we mustn't exaggerate, of course. I agree with John's appraisal that it's just the beginning of the beginning. That's a fair comment. Yes, but uh, the main point is not so much that. The main point is something fundamental has changed in the United States. You better believe it. These, these events represent a fundamental change. And I will say nothing will ever be the same in the United States ever again. Nothing. And I will say for the first time ever, for the first time ever, the road to socialism, the road to revolutionary socialism and Marxism in the US is now wide open. So watch this space. Now, Comrade Alessandro made some very pertinent points, I thought, about the situation of the, of the Italian working class. You see, the, the Italian ruling class, I think, are playing with fire. They've all forgotten a little detail, all of them, and, and the trade union and labor leaders. They've forgotten a little detail. The Italian working class has got revolutionary traditions, you better believe it. And you see, the fact that there is no no reformist workers' party in Italy now, Socialist Party disappeared years ago, and the Communist Party, the mighty Italian Communist Party, also disappeared. It was a party of millions. Now, from the standpoint of the Italian ruling class, is that a good thing or a bad thing? I answered it is a very bad thing and a very dangerous thing from their point of view. Because in, all, because in all countries now, it's the reformist leaders, the reformist political and trade union leaders that are the only prop, basically, of the capitalist system that's propping them up. In, it, in Italy, the Communist Party played that role, that role very effectively for many, for decades, actually. And therefore, the choice is between, between going downhill in a car with bad brakes and, and going downhill without, with, a, with a car with no, no brakes at all. Once the Italian workers get on the move, and everything that, that Alexandro just said indicates that uh, that is that is well on the way to being prepared. There's a, a seething anger, there's a seething rage and indignation, of course. Fifteen minutes gone. The crisis of Italian capitalism is probably the most severe of any European nation at the present stage. To quote uh, Lenin's uh, phrase, it's probably the we- the weakest link in, in European capitalism at the present time. I, I believe that that's correct. And once the Italian workers get on the move, you look out. And the Italian youth, of course. It'll be like, it'll be like 1968-1969 again, on, on a vastly higher scale, I would say. Fortunately, we've got a very good section, a very strong section in Italy, and we are poised to to make big gains, I'm certain. And of course, this is in the context of a, gen- of a, of a severe crisis of, of European capitalism, which comrade, uh, which comrade Josh dealt with very effectively, I thought. 
You see, the, the European Union is breaking apart. It's clear. And under conditions of crisis, economic nationalism now comes to the fore. They're all defending their own parts, their own their own country, their own nation, their own interests. In the European Union, uh, fault lines are new fault lines are appearing all the time. Not just with Eastern Europe, with the Poles and the Hungarians and so on. That's been in the case for some time. But but particularly with the poorer countries of, of Southern Europe and the wealthier countries of the North. And that, that came to a head in the recent uh, summit meeting which they, they held, which nearly broke up in, uh, violently. It was a violent meeting. They had a violent row. Apparently, at one stage, Macron banged the table and said he was going to walk out. <laughs> because the Germans and the Swedes and the, and the Finns also and the, uh, and the Dutch in particular were refusing to hand over the cash. <laughs> and Macron, he warned them. He, he issued a warning. He said, and I quote, if we, can, if we can't do this today, I tell you the populists will win. Today, tomorrow, the day after, in Italy, in Spain, perhaps in France and elsewhere. He said. In other words, it was a threat that the whole European Union was going to break apart. It was on. It seemed to be on the on the on the on the verge of doing that. In the end, they they stitched together some kind of a deal, but I think it will not uh, solve anything, and the, the, these cracks are going to continue. And then, of course, you've got Brexit <laughs> to cheer everybody up. You've got Brexit. Which, of course, uh, as uh, as uh, as has been said, as James stated quite correctly, it'll be ca- it'll be a catastrophe for Britain, particularly particularly if they leave without a deal. And at the moment, that seems to be on the cards. This will be a disaster for Europe, but an absolute catastrophe for Britain. Twenty minutes gone. You know, I sometimes wonder what uh, what's what's in the head, heads of these politicians in London, in particular. <laughs> they really they really believe that uh, Britain is. is it's like in the good old days when Britain ruled the world, when Britain ruled the empire. <laughs> They're going to have a very uh, serious awakening from the stupid dreams. When they leave Europe, it will soon be seen the reality of Great Britain. What's Great Britain, for God's sake? What's Great Britain? An insignificant little island off the coast of Europe. That's what Great Britain is. <laughs> and I think James pointed out correct. I think it was James or Josh, one of the two pointed out. that the national question in Britain has not been resolved. There's a burning hatred of uh, Boris Johnson and all his works in Scotland in particular. Burning hatred. Scots voted to stay in, the, in Europe, so they're not uh, happy about this position at all. And now 54% of the people of Scotland are in favour of independence. And it seems that that figure is being maintained. This is something new. Johnson's so alarmed, he went to Scotland yesterday, I think, or the day before yesterday, to appeal to people to stay in the Union. Yeah. <laughs> yes. That, that went down like a lead balloon. I think he, he would have done better to stay in London. <laughs> oh yes, and then there's the special relationship between uh, Britain and uh, America. <laughs> yes, yes, yeah, that, that's the that's the special relationship between a servant and his master. And if as is possible, Scotland breaks breaks away from the Union the first time in three hundred years. 
Not not ruled out. Well, Boris, Boris Johnson will no longer be the Prime Minister of Great Britain, but uh, the unfortunate leader of Little England. Now the Tories are will be increasingly hated. They are increasingly hated. But what's the, what's the alternative? Under Jeremy Corbyn, the Labour Party was an, att- an attractive proposition for millions of people. He's a left reformist, of course, with all the limitations of a left reformist, as we saw. He should have taken action immediately against the right wing of the, of the Labour Party, against the Parliamentary Labour Party. That's what, what we were advocating all the time, deselection. De- but, but typical of a left reformist, he was weak. He didn't do that. He didn't... He didn't uh, do what he should have done. And therefore they launched a, a, a most savage attack against him. Savage. Every every day. 25 minutes gone. They, they sabotaged Labour's campaign. They didn't want Labour to win the election and they got what they wanted. They lost, they lost the election. With a, with a massive campaign, a vicious campaign in the, in, the, in the Tory press, of course. And they got what they wanted. And, and, and Corbyn, unfortunately, resigned which opened the way now to the return of the right-wing under Starmer. He is a right-wing Blairite of the, of the worst kind. What he wants is a national government with himself, I assume, as, as Prime Minister, I suppose. Now, unfortunately, at the moment, the Labour Party is paralysed by coronavirus. It's not meeting. The party is not meeting. And people are me- quite a few people are leaving, by the way. They're disappointed. They're leaving. But at the same time, there's an enormous, the same radicalization that Alexander referred to in Italy also existed. And therefore, enormous possibilities will, are opening up here also. But I, I can't say much more because I'm running out of time. But there are huge possibilities. But again, we have a very strong section which can take advantage of this. But I have to bring my remarks to a close because we have another very important point on the agenda, which is the collection. We need money to build this organization, of course. But here's a question. Why are we internationalists? It's not a sentimental question. Because we like foreigners, like like the Friends of the United Nations and petty bourgeois organizations like that, you know. We like some foreigners, we strongly dislike others. No, no. our internationalism is based on objective reasons, solid objective, objective reasons. We live in one world, and the interconnections of this world has ne- never been greater than it is now. This very school indicates that, it's proof, proof of this. Even the coronavirus, in a sense, uh, demonstrates the truth of internationalism, as Mr. Trump found out. <laughs> this... This man actually put the, he, he resorted to the coronavirus by putting a block on the, on the airports. <laughs> yeah, as if, as if you could stop the virus by, by blocking the airports. The virus doesn't respect frontiers, my friends, as you know. Yes, and the socialist revolution also does not respect frontiers. That's why we're internationalists, because the world demands internationalism. It demands, that's, that's the answer to the problem. Even I think some bourgeois scientists and doctors understand that in a, in a, in a, in a way. What do they say about the coronavirus? They say it every day. The only way to tackle this is by combining all the resources of the world, the scientific and all the resources of the world. 30 minutes gone. 
and what happens under capitalism. Even such an, on, on such an elementary question as the coronavirus, which threatens the whole of humanity, instead of reaching a harmonious uh, collaboration, and a pooling of, of the gigantic resources of the world to combat what is, a, what is a common threat to the whole of the human race. They're fighting among, like dogs among, among each other to, to possess whatever uh, vaccine may, occur, may, may be created for themselves. That in itself illustrates the rottenness, the corruption, the, the complete degeneration of capitalism in the 21st century. I rest my case. Yeah, but it doesn't stop there, does it? Commerce Surge and other commerce have made the point, the central point. We have an urgent task to perform to create that vehicle, that necessary instrument for changing society. And that, I mean, the creation of a revolutionary party and a revolutionary international because we are international. Alessandro made, a, made quite a, I thought, a pertinent statement. He said, and he's right, the comrade is a realist and I approve of realists. He said as follows, we are not ready yet. And that's true in general, we're not ready yet. But we have taken some important steps. That's also true, comrades and friends, that's also true. The international Marxist tendencies take some very important steps forward in building Marxism. Everyone recognizes that, but, they, but our friends and even our enemies recognize it. <laughs> they don't like it, but they have to admit that it's a fact. And this school, this marvelous school, this inspirational school, is just such a step, an important step forward for the international market. So what should we do? You know, I'll tell you something. The building of the Revolutionary Party is actually, it's, it's a whole collection of small steps, small tasks. The road to big successes, the road to big successes and big advances can only be prepared by a series of small steps, which every single one of you can do to spread the ideas of Marxism, sell the books, the literature, the new Marxist newspapers, collect money. We, we need money. We need money. Like any army, you know, Napoleon said that finance is the sinews of war. I don't know if the commies can translate. Yeah, that's right. Okay. And of course, the collection which will take place now is, is an important part. And therefore, I'll finish just by, with I have one message for you. You can make a difference, my friend. You yourself can make a difference. Whatever conclusion you draw from this uh, marvelous school, from this discussion, whatever, you must not draw the conclusion, well, it's all, all okay, but what can I do about it? I can't do anything. Yes, of course, you as an isolated individual, you, you, of course, you can't do anything. As an isolated atom, you are impotent. Of course, that's true. But we are not isolated atoms, are we? We are part of a great class and a great movement, the movement of the working class. And what we have to do, what is necessary, what you can do immediately, immediately, is to pick up a phone or go to your computer and make up your mind to join us, to join us in the most important task that we face at the present time. The sacred task, the sacred task of carrying out the proletarian socialist revolution on a world scale and open the door to a new and glorious future for the whole of humanity. It's in your hand.